97 weekly episodes in. Haven't skipped a single week. Not one. 97. That's crazy. Yeah. This is the new Utah podcast. Uh, Jess can't hear us right now. Just unplug it and plug it back in. You good? Mm-hmm. Can you hear us now? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? I work for a different uh, corporation that's a competitor because I'm a corporate snake, as my daughter puts it. Yeah. Our, both my daughters go, snake, whenever they see this. Maybe, pictures. but it's been out of work for 15 years. You can't blame the Well, guy. I mean, he probably had a non-compete for some amount of that time. Right. By 14 and a half. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty long-ass non-compete. I don't think it was 15 years, dude. The Verizon commercials weren't that long. 15 years is when cell phones were first becoming mainstream. So that might have been when he had his commercials. I don't know. No. No, dude. <laughs> I've, I skipped 10 years. You're adding years. <laughs> oh, man. So this is the New Utah Podcast. If you found us, then you probably already know that. And uh, if you're listening to this and magically you didn't find us, we're not going to probably say our name again until the end of the show. So um, hopefully you're listening right this moment so you can remember how to find us. Uh, <laughs> and thank you. I fucking hate that call back to like radio days. Like this is the so-and-so show every fucking 10 minutes. You're listening to this and this. Every commercial break, they had to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you gotta, you gotta tag the station. It was funny. So, uh, have you ever, you ever listened to, uh, Bill Allred, uh, does that let's go eat show, uh, that podcast. I, I know I've got to hear him talking about it, but I haven't, I haven't listened to it yet. So the first, I haven't listened to it in a long time, um, but he's he's just he's such a great interviewer. Bill is uh, that it's it's a it's a great show because he does a lot of interviews with a lot of people around Salt Lake um, and and in other areas uh, as well, but mostly Salt Lake people. And it's like you know TV news acres and and stuff like that. But they're really interesting conversational interviews because he's such a good interviewer. But the first, I'd say, easily like twenty. He was constantly, well, you're listening to me at all on the X Let's Go Eat show. I'm like, you don't got to do that, dude. You're in a podcast, <laughs> not on radio. Whole different set of rules, meaning there are none. Yeah, yeah. So how was everyone's uh, Easter weekend? Anybody catch any uh, egg pooping bunnies? Bunny doesn't come to my house. No? Did you get eggs? No. Do you have eggs? You don't have any eggs at your house. Well, yeah, because I eat them. <laughs> make cakes. Well, I just want to make sure that you get eggs. There's eggs that are happening. We didn't have... We Not didn't have Easter eat. eggs, just alma eggs. There was some bunny shitting out plastic eggs at the uh, resort we were staying at in Vegas uh, for kids on Sunday morning when we left. And then, oh, I got to tell you this story. So we were getting back... Uh, it's just me. So Sunday morning, we're, we're getting ready to leave to come back home uh, from our little mini vacation. And uh, I'm getting on the elevator, and there's this kid... Uh, this family with two kids and the little kid's happy and the older sister who looks like she's probably nine, ten ish, maybe like right at that age where she probably needs to learn that Easter is bullshit and it's just a place to get candy. Um, <laughs> she's like, ah, oh, this sucks. This is so unfair. So stupid. Why do we have to come here? <laughs> Because she's just got a little basket with a handful of eggs, and she probably got, you know, curtailed to like chill out so the little, little kids can get stuff. <laughs> So, and then we walked in to check out, uh, walked into the, the lobby building to check out and there was an Easter bunny in there and I could see that motherfucker's head under his costume. So disappointing. I went out and tried to tell the girls in the car that I'd seen the Easter bunny and they just looked at me like I was insane. So we were in Vegas. That's uh. so we talk about Utah a lot. And interestingly enough, we have an author on today that does not live in Utah. Um, and I'm going to tell some stories about Las Vegas that is not part of Utah. However, 
one of the advantages to living in Utah, we talk about how close we are to things. We're really close to Las Vegas. We're within driving distance of Las Vegas. We're probably just a little bit further than people in L.A. for the most part. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, something like that. Well, LA is like 260 and we're like about 300 and something miles, 320 maybe from Vegas. So we're relatively close within about an hour of of them. And Mm -hmm. if you drive like me, maybe faster. (laughs) Um, So we get the opportunity to go to Vegas pretty easily. And flights are really cheap from here to Vegas. You know, you get flights for under $100. So uh, it is, it is, uh, there's always a lot of Utah people down there. So you can go to Sin City easily. Yeah. The downside is not a lot of people from Utah go to Vegas because they don't like the Sin City aspect, I guess. I don't know. The buffets. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's what they don't like. Buffets. No, I'm pretty sure that's what those motherfuckers go down there for. And they really shouldn't. Buffets. The thing is, if you pay $50 for a buffet in uh, Vegas, you're not getting much more than if you pay 20 at Chuckarama. I'm just being honest. Well, Chuckarama doesn't usually have lobster no, or the, crab. The, the Chinese buffets have crab usually on Fridays and Saturdays and uh, they're only like $25 here. Well, there you go. Plus they have Chinese food. Well, you had some Chinese food at the buffet. Mm, some pad thai noodles. Pad thai is not Chinese. Well, you know what I mean. And uh, Like Asian food. You had some Asian yeah, fare. I did eat some oriental food. <laughs> some oriental food. <laughs> you went there. This is where we're going to start things, folks. Uh, <laughs> racism 101. Last night I was driving home and there was a car in front of me. I took a picture of it and nobody has thought it was racist except for me. I didn't say it wasn't racist. I just said it's funny. But it's in those that stroke font, you know, that, that brush font that, that lots of... Um, Chinese and Japanese restaurant shoes. Mm-hmm. It's what? what? Calligraphy. It's a type of calligraphy. Kind of, yeah. A- anyway, it's in that font and it says Ho, H O, space, Lee, L E, space, Chit, C H I T. Holy Chit. <laughs> and that's not look. And that's... everybody like laughs at it. And I get it. It's funny. I laughed too. And, and But it's kind of racist. Okay, but but it's I don't know if it's much different than all the fa places that that play on the word fa because Americans say fo for so 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 many of them so no, there's like fa- fucking yeah but fa works better than fo <laughs> so great I love the fucking restaurants they're the best fucking or what about that thing. one that that what's about that that one we were talking about in Taylorsville that we went and had the sushi at uh. Chop fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> the place, I still liked that place. Chop fuck you. <laughs> Pretty sure it's Buku. <laughs> That's not what it looks like. <laughs> anyway, um, my plants are growing after not getting watered by my mother-in-law because I didn't tell her to. <laughs> and so I came back and they were like all They're like drooping for, for water and drooping. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but they all survived. So there's a few that haven't popped up. Uh, our bathroom is in the same condition it's been in for a couple of weeks. Well, because we went and picked out the tile the weekend before we left, and then I couldn't really tile while I was in so Vegas. Yeah, we'll have the tile? That, that, no, we haven't picked it up yet. Say, no, but they have it. We can just go get it, I think. So I'm actually hoping to do that tomorrow. I have samples out there. It's heavy. Well, because I've, I've got she the... Picked eight, out, she picked out 12 by 24 inch yeah. tile. Awesome. That's fucking heavy. And the weird thing is, is I can't remember which hotel 
which casino it was in, but one of the casinos. Had, it wasn't the casino. It stopped. was our bathroom. There floor. was one in, I think it might have, what was the one with the cherry blossom? What was the casino we in? The Bellagio. I think the Bellagio's bathrooms had that exact style. And the, our bathrooms in the condo had one that's so similar. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking like a, a timeshare condo and the Bellagio. So we must have good taste. So, yeah. You see the slot machine in your bathroom. <laughs> There's room in there. You've, you've seen that bathroom. There's room for a slot machine. So that was cool. Like the Bellagio, back to the Bellagio, because you brought it up, was kind of cool that they were doing the, the Japanese Bloom Festival. So they had all their their uh, uh, cherry blossoms, all the trees with the cherry blossoms. And full other bloom. flowers. But they're they con- had like a... Their conservatory so fucking they cool. They had like a, a head and hands holding a ball and the head had like water coming out of it and then it had eyelashes and eyebrows done in like flowers and mm. grasses and stuff. It was really cool. That's so cool. The yeah. girls really thought it was amazing. That's, that's one benefit, another benefit of having older kids. Like, I don't know that like... Your young little son would like really that care cool. about that, yeah, but no, like your so older much. daughters would probably, probably walk through it cool. and be like, "This is really cool." So, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. Did you guys do anything fun this weekend? Well, so, so I want to. I do want to talk about soap. Oh yeah. <laughs> How can Did I you cut your soap up? I didn't. Chris cut his so up when I, we got home. I got it cut up, and it's 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 starting its three week dry. Yeah, yeah, it's up on top, on top of, of the, the fridge. fridge. Mine's out. That's the probably why I forgot because I haven't looked at it in a couple of days. Yeah, so I do want to talk about our oleo. Yeah, that was cool. So first off, I want to talk about uh, um, shades of pale. Yeah, that Their was beers really good. Delicious. The two beers I had are really really good. Uh, and the the little it's like a a little have uh, a little bar essentially a tap room inside of their their brewery uh-huh and it's just this quaint little thing you get you know pints of draft and i like the homemade pallet furniture i was right at home with that that was pretty sweet <laughs> jeremy's, jeremy's like, like in my backyard fuck, cool. now I'm, i know how to make bar stools now that's pretty idea. cool <laughs> like, i'm gonna make a new dining room table with bar stools it was pretty I sweet. think that you should make me a container to put the cooler in for my winter stuff so that there's not an ugly red fo- cooler on my porch Sure, he'll get rid on that. What do you charge? Fifty, a hundred dollars for something like that, Jeremy? <laughs> and a pallet. <laughs> so I think he could find the pallet for me. Pallets, yeah, they're pretty easy to find. Uh, so it, it was with our good friends with Oleo. Uh, I think the only the only issue, and it wasn't Oleo's fault, is they stuck us in the back corner. The lights weren't working, and we kept blowing the fuses. But other than that, <laughs> well, and apparently that's a, that's been an issue they've had there um, because this. So this is a, Shades of Pills in an old meatpacking building. Yeah, the old uh, what 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 did you say the company was? I don't even remember. It's oh, I don't. One. I don't know if she said what the company. There's an old but old meatpacking place, and they're like, oh well, it should be fine for power, and they go plug their. They use a bunch of of uh, warming plates. Uh, and they're just like space heaters. They will fucking blow circuits like nobody's business because they suck a lot of juice. Uh, and you plug them all in and boom. So as, we, as soon as our table, what are there, six people at our table? Yep. Then four people, something like yeah. that. Yeah. As soon as they went on, Yeah. <laughs> okay. So then I, so I figured it out and got one table working. So we just kind of swapped with that other table. But other than that, it's an incredibly easy thing to make soap in terms of the actual motions to make the soap. I thought it would take a few hours. I don't know. I thought it would take a... Yeah, I was expecting two hours, and and we were done. I mean, the soap, the actual making of it was like 30 minutes, 40 minutes maybe to actually do it. Half that's just waiting for your materials to melt. Yeah. 
Now, I don't want to pretend like making soap is easy in terms of knowing the right ingredients and, <laughs> and the, 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 amounts and the, the amounts of oils, because that was all pre-measured yeah, for Yeah, Jen us. had everything laid out, just like a cooking show. Your bowl was here, and the little cup was here. And all, plus. It was all pre-measured and ready to go, so it's just a matter of heat this up and mix that. And we think we've got them talked into a way to do some some whiskey soap at some point. Some bourbon so soap. Would be we're we're gonna we we planted some seeds. They've already been trying to do it, and we planted. Oh, some I planted seeds. those seeds for you guys like months ago with them. Apparently, we're not the only ones that have done it. Apparently, everyone has been asking them for it, but we have, we, we we spent like twenty minutes talking to them about talking to James. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, we Going love to James." House. Well, we didn't even think about it. We were talking about, well, maybe you should actually no, ask him. Derek totally said that he would talk to James when I gave him your idea. <laughs> and maybe he'd had more beers than he, than he let on because he was okay. drinking when we got there. <laughs> but but uh, we talked to him about actually talking to James about maybe using the head. Off of a, a new batch. To be precise, we said maybe you could get some head from James. Yeah, <laughs> maybe get James to give you his head. You know, so <laughs> Derek was all in at that point. Like, what? Uh, but we thought that because it's so fragrant, like you can't drink it because it tastes like shit. But you don't eat soap, hopefully. Um, but it's definitely fragrant. Uh, so. We talked about that, and so they, there may be some something in the works there, but super fun activity, actually. They do wine soap, smells, by the way, Brie. smells great. I know. I have some. I use it. Well, no, no, no. She should go to the wine soap class. She didn't want to go to the beer, but yeah. they have a wine one. Just saying. Yeah, okay. I do need to go to one. It is a, a great date night type activity. It would be a great activity for a bunch of ladies to get together and do together. I would have liked to have come with you guys. That would have been fun. It was fun. And surprisingly, like I said, easy. Because she did all the hard work of having it already, but it was actually pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised at how soft it is. Like yeah. why it like it why it takes that long to cure. It's all jelly and it was it was cool how quick it set up though. We poured it in the little boxes and how, within like five minutes. How was, much was in the corner of your box? Not very much. I am disappointed I forgot to take my twine, so none of my soap's on a rope. Oh, that's right. You were going to soap it on a rope. I, I'm really kind of pissed I didn't because <laughs> didn't <laughs> I was going to do it for sure, uh, but I, I suck. So what can you do? But it was a lot of fun. Thanks to Oleo. Yeah, for sure. For sure. For It smells pretty good, too. Yeah. I think it smells amazing. The beer, they she said they... They have to boil it down and get all the alcohol out of it because otherwise the alcohol messes with the the chemical reaction, the chemicals, the and it just stays moist. It never sets up. So it is beer, but it isn't quite. But, it's it, really but if there you eat for, it, you're not going to get drunk. No, it's really there for. I would not recommend eating it. <laughs> it's not going to taste good. It's really fatty based on the amount of oil that's in it, and then um, I don't know if lye is good for you or not. Probably not. You could probably ask anybody that's been put in a barrel with it. You could ask that chick that, uh, well, no, you probably can't because they're all dead. They got from a barrel all lie. You could ask that chick that drank the uh, the iced tea that was just all lie from, what was it? Uh, oh, the Dick's Barbecue. Yeah. Or was it Dick's? Dickie's Barbecue. Yeah. Dickie's Family Barbecue. Do you remember when that happened a few, few years ago? Uh, so anyway, that was... Did you do anything this weekend, Jess? Because I know last weekend you like... You, you were all over the color festival, didn't tell anyone about it. What do you listen? Throwing up some neon shit. Did you do anything this last weekend? Sure. Other than make cakes? No. <laughs> That's what you do every weekend. Sometimes there's really fun things involved. 
Sometimes. What yeah. do you mean? Like, well, uh, like you when you again? when you go on a fucking airplane and like you're doing barrel rolls and shit, or you go to the color festival and you throw neon shit in the air, or jump in a frozen lake. Yeah. So don't. So yes, yeah, sometimes you do really exciting stuff. You're like, I don't do anything. And then later, I look at your Instagram. I'm like, that bitch is a liar. <laughs> you don't ever say anything. So how would I? No, know I always say looking? that son of a bitch. She lied to me. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I look at Instagram like once a week now. <laughs> and I do ask. I just ask. We do have a, we have a new Instagram account. We do, as in the new Utah podcast. Yep. What happened to the old one? We didn't ever have one. Really? Nope. This just shows what I just set it up. I have, no, I have no idea how this shit works. <laughs> 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 That's probably a good thing for us to have. We take a lot of pictures. Well, you do. We take some. Did you I send try. her the I, soap pictures? Yeah, I tried. I posted them. Because I got a bunch of soap pictures, too. My soap pictures. My, I don't know. It's my phone or me. I don't know. I try. It's you, Jeremy. I think it's, it's you. your phone. You don't even know how to text message properly. It's definitely. That was so weird. You were texting us both. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, he just switched to texting me. It's the same conversation. What happened? Well, sometimes my phone splits it up. The conversation. Don't blame your phone, Jeremy. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this technology. It is a tough technology for this you, right? technology stuff. Actually, Jeremy is the reason I started texting ever. Oh. Like, the very first text I sent was, was to it Jeremy. A, was it a numerical text? Or was it on a QWERTY keyboard? No, it was on a, it was a numerical one. <laughs> Fuck, I, these kids these days have no idea how good they fucking got it. One, two, QWERTY. three to get to the C. Oh, fuck, <laughs> I messed it up. I got to tap it four more times. It was, like, it was like the old phones where you dial 1-800, go away, and you'd have to G. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> so fucking terrible. Yeah, Jeremy, um, gosh, when we... When we connected again, however many years ago that was, like 12 or something. Something like that. You were like big into the texting, but it like not lots of people were texting. And so you're like, you would send me texts and it would cost me like $5 or something <laughs> to, to like respond. And so I told Don, I'm like, I think I need to add texting. And he's like, Why? I'm like, well, because every time Jeremy texts me something, it costs us like $10 just for me to get it and then respond back to him. So I added texting just for Jeremy. Oh, see, I do know some things. That was back when Verizon and AT&T and those guys cared about texting. And now they don't give a fuck because iMessage just replaces it all. Yep. It's true. It's so crazy. Like, I'd forgotten I, about that. That's funny. I looked at the, the number of messages sent by Bree, myself, and Cassie before she got an iPhone. And then after they got iPhones, iMessage still wasn't quite fully implemented. Uh, and so watching their, te like their texts were outrageous, like 10,000 plus a month. And then iMessage came around and whoosh, nothing. They had as many texts as talking to their mother. <laughs> yeah, because I'm the only one in the family now that has an Android. So I'm the only one that they can't iMessage, pretty much. So what's, what's the difference? With iMessage uses uh, data to send a message across to Apple's platform and not an MMS message across the So it costs platform. me money. I mean, not me. It doesn't cost me money because we have a big data plan. But instead of, like, texting essentially is free. Like, it's... It is Just, free. There's no limit on texts anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's... But there used to be, remember? Oh, like, yeah. It was oh, like yeah. 100 texts is as much, 1,000 is as I much. I remember one time getting a $300 bill, 
because I'd gone over my texts without knowing it. And it's like, holy shit. Yeah. Well, now, so iMessage is like a data, it's like Google messaging. It's a data planet. You have to have data to use it. And that's what they use with all their friends and stuff. So, and Sean doesn't know this, but if I were to charge my iPad, my iPad is tied to her uh, iCloud stuff. I could act, I can actually see every single text that she sends because she sends them through iMessaging and my iPad is tied to her account. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. I was monitoring her there for a little while. So see, 12 years ago, I knew a little bit about technology. This has been old motherfucker cell phone talk. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to now continue into events. Do we have any? I mean, I'm sure there's something happening. There's always something happening. Somewhere. I was going to talk about Olia's soap class this weekend, but I just heard that it's sold out, so... Yeah, they sell out fast. Basically, if you didn't sign up. <laughs> Where are they doing? There's this, uh, they at their shop this Yeah, week? they generally do them at their shop, but I asked if there's anything coming up, and they said they don't have anything on the calendar yet, so... Yeah, when we talk to them, they're trying to do soap classes at least once a month. Um, well, they're doing them almost every other week for yeah. the last couple of months, so... Yeah, they said it gets really big in the wintertime, and it kind of cools off a little bit in the summer, and a lot of their focus in the summer is getting tons of shit ready for the farmer's market and everything else, so... Well, since you can't go to that, you should go to Time and Place on the 8th to Josh the Herbalist's Manifesting Magic with Herbal Energy class at Time and Place. If I didn't say that, might have been redundant. Where at? Time and Place. Where's that at? <laughs> Uh, it's on Ninth South and almost Fourth Fourth East. Just like two two little buildings away for or one. The There's only market. twelve seats available though. I probably should have checked to see if that was sold out as well. It probably is because that's okay because they only have like four parking spaces too. You can park on the street. I know. Yeah. And you park next door too. So um, another event on the tenth. Uh, are you guys familiar with Talisman Brewery up in Ogden? Have you heard of them? Heard I of have it. heard of it. I've never been there. Well, they are doing a night with Talisman at We Olive, which is at Trolley Square. And it's a cool little shop that does like tasting classes and stuff all the time. So they will be there with four of their beers, beers and bites. Um, on the 10th, it's $39 to do the class and it's a good opportunity. Um, Talisman's getting ready to open up their own little little restaurant um, that they've been working on and so it would just be cool to get to know them since they are on the northern end of the Wasatch Front and if you're in Heber you guys can go to the Peeps Diorama Contest at the Wasatch <laughs> County Library there were so many fucking okay so the Harmon's by my house um, this is going to relate back to Peeps I promise but here you can be an adult and do this too so the Harmons by my house, uh, they've been over the course of the last month or so redoing all of their aisles. So they've taken them from the long aisles that run the entire length of the store or depth of the store. I don't know, whatever. They do long ones. They've been putting in short ones instead. So they are the ones where it's cut down the middle. There's a big aisle down and the middle like of the aisles. there's like an end cap. So there's double the end caps. Yeah, so they can get you with double the bullshit because uh, that's what end caps are. I love end caps. Bullshit that you don't need that you fucking buy because you think it's a good sell, but it's not. I don't think it's a good sell. I just like the cute stuff. So uh, <laughs> anyway, so because of all this, their shit has been all fucked up as they've been throughout the day building the shelves, moving product. They've been moving it around the store. And normally in the center of the store, there's this huge aisle of all the seasonal stuff. 
right? So That's all my the, favorite aisle. All the Easter candy, all the decorations. So I go grocery shopping yesterday uh, after work, and I shit you not, every fucking aisle, like all the way down the check sands, you know how the check sands are at the end of the store, in front of every one of them is three to four shopping carts full of Easter candy heavily discounted because no one bought any because you couldn't fucking find it because it moved <laughs> like four times in one week and uh, it took a lot not to buy it and there were probably six carts full of peeps <laughs> at a dollar a box you could build a rad diorama with those uh, you could build a fucking giant statue with those and once they we harden you build a giant peep and once, Whoa, once the better. world's largest peep made out of peeps, so it's like one of those those pictures where it's a whole bunch of pictures that form a different picture. So all these pictures of Donald Trump that form his face or something, but it's peeps. Why would you pick Donald Trump? I don't know. He's been on my so, mind. So <laughs> we, we are driving to into Vegas. So Cassidy couldn't come because her spring break was two weeks ago. And she had something to do with her shorty this last weekend. So we had Sean bring a friend. And her friend Maddie, as we are driving down the strip, she goes, oh, I just threw into my mouth a little bit. And Sean goes, are you okay? Is everything all right? She's like, she's looking. As I look up, I go, oh, she just saw Trump Tower. <laughs> <laughs> They want to. They, Sean, Sean was being a rude little bitch in the elevator at the dam too, because there were these people in front of us. Oh that my were wearing god! Wearing Make America Great Great Again hats. Uh-huh. It wasn't like, in the elevator. It was. It, in was, the it was in the well, elevator. It was in the elevator parking too, garage. But we saw them first in the line for the theater. Yeah. Were they old people? Oh yeah. No, one was a kid. No. Yes, it was. There was a kid younger than Sean wearing Not one. Not in the elevator with us. Okay, well, in the line there was. So anyway, but it was the she elevator was, where she, she was having a really yeah. hard time, and I'm like, you can't be like that though, because they're it's, they're right to where it's stupid, and they're hat. not doing it, like they're not saying anything bad right now. They're, they're just standing there talking, and then we rode in the elevator with them after everything was over, and he was like, "Hey, thanks, bye, have a good day." Like he was super the super nice guy, and I'm just like, you still suck. <laughs> So anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to, I did mean to interrupt you. I shouldn't lie like that, like that, Jess. Okay, I can talk about it. I was, I was going to ask, this is bothering me. (laughs) Is it a leather jacket under the sweater? What, is it part of the sweater? Yeah. And her pants have a leather stripe down the side. So it's just the edging of the, the cuff at the end of the sweater is leather. Yes. That's interesting. It just looks like you're wearing something backwards because you think a leather isn't backwards. Well, like inside <laughs> out. Like you think you wear the jacket over the sweater, and here it is, a piece of leather coming out of a sweater. It's, it's It was weird she wears, out. She's worn that sweater before. I haven't noticed a leather before. It's I know, okay. It's I've, I know that just since we've been doing the podcast, I know she's at least worn it like three or four times. To be fair, you look at her more than I do. Like, I look at her and it's just her head. I don't see, like, her Yeah, arms. that's true. Where I sit, I can see her whole body. Yeah. Sorry. So you, you check her out way off, way more often than me. <laughs> like, I can see the leather stripe that's corresponding with her leather I notice shirt. the stuff she wears in her hair frequently because it's always turned towards me. That's Because she tries to look at you and not me. That <laughs> so uh, back to events. Sorry, Jess. Uh, so moving on to the 11th through the 17th, there's actually a lot of really cool events that week. Um, we have the 13th, normally Folk Hogan. Sometimes they get to Park City. Most of the time they spend their time in Salt Lake, but they will be up in Ogden. 
at the lighthouse at 10 o'clock. So if you're up that way or if you know somebody that's up that way, then you should go see Folk Hogan because they're awesome. Also on the 13th, Fear Factory is opening because it's Friday the 13th. Oh, so that means all of them are going to be open probably. That was the only one that I saw in the events um, at the time, but that doesn't mean that the other ones are going to. So. Castle of Chaos almost always does, and Nightmare on 13th always does on the 13th. I think the one on 6th does too. That's just factory. off the freeway, the the old cement factory. That's fear that's factory. Fear factory. <laughs> that's what she literally oh. just said. Fuck, I'm usually the one that doesn't listen, but holy cow, Drew. I'm used to none of you. So, uh, twenty five dollars, you can get tickets at Fear Factory SLC dot com. That's and one I still haven't gone to. It'll be open point. the thirteenth and the fourteenth. They have a zipline. So, um, I won't ever go to that. Uh, also down in Provo, and this is the third year that you want to elaborate. This. You can't just be like, I won't ever go to that and just keep going. You brought it up in events and you're like, I'll never fucking go. And then you just kept going. Like, When do you like, ever go to the events? And I, I killed my about. baby, by the way. Uh, so Wait, uh, in Heber City, they're doing this ice house thing that's going to last for two weeks because we didn't have a winter this year. Sorry. We didn't even ever get to talk about that except for in winter things to do. Yeah, because literally it was open for three weeks, I think. If that. Well... Talking about threes down nope. in Provo. You do I not get to story. skip over why you won't ever go to it. Why won't you <laughs> ever go to it? Sorry. Is, is there a real reason why you won't go to it? Because is, is it I haunted? don't like... You don't go to haunted houses? I don't go to made-up haunted houses. Okay. See, that's a reason. You don't need a story. I just wanted the reason. I didn't. I didn't want to hear you be like, "Well, I, I tried to go there once, and this bomb attacked." I do have me. a haunted house story, but it was a really long time ago. So, <laughs> anyways, down in Provo is the Asian Night Market, which is the third year that they've done this, and it's at thirty three West and four hundred South. Asian Nights. An Asian Night Market. Like, so, like, like, like night did you say in night. Park City? No, in Provo. Provo. So, like samurais. That's the only like time they let non-white people come out. Jeremy. Or like at night. Just at night, not Maybe. samurais like nights, but dusk. at night, dusk at after night. dusk. It's so that's free. Night. There is going to be over sixty vendors, and they've made it so these vendors are open to haggling, kind of like in a lot of the markets that you'll go to in different Asian countries. So it's kind of cool. I think um <laughs> so you like uh, I, I only want to pay four dollars for this i don't think shit. people in utah county understand how that works though so third year they've done it so i apparently it's working what i don't kind, know in my business when i tell them what the price is but, they, but they've set it up so it can be like that so anyways uh that weekend is also going to be a big weekend for sports the 14th is the first uh, day for the Royals, a new women's soccer team that is coming to Salt Lake. And it is also the home opener for the national champions of Falcons, which is a women's football team that plays uh, their games up at Cottonwood Heights. So if you want to go see that, they're playing Seattle. And I believe that they won their first game, which was away, I think, in Vegas, like pounded whoever they were playing. And the game's only, t- only 10 bucks, so it's a fun little Saturday activity. And then on the 15th, uh, another thing that happens at the Oleo studio is that Amy's Home Cooking does cooking classes. So she recently just did a fuck class. And on the 15th, they're doing brunch. So it's 25 bucks. It's at noon. You get Bloody Marys, Alaskan salmon cakes, a spring mix, and then uh, Grand Marnier soaked berries with whipped cream. You learn how to make it? So, or? mm-hmm. 
And so cool. you can go to Amy Amy's Home Cooking Do they do com. balls? Uh, not as <laughs> but I'm sure you could ask her. Uh, no one could ever teach you how to fucking make those things. <laughs> you are unteachable when it comes to rum balls. Anyways, it's Amy with two E's. Amy's home cooking. I, I love her spices. I I because Brie magically won. <laughs> like I totally didn't think it was a real drawing until I watched the video where they actually randomly drew something out, uh, and as a result, I own almost every spice that she has put out. They're really good. There's lots of ways that to That one that you, you always use on our steaks. Oh. That's our steak seasoning. Is it actually steak seasoning? Yeah, I just didn't know if is. you... Were, it's so good. Yeah, it's really oh. good. It's really good. It makes me suck on the bones. <laughs> <laughs> it does. There's new ideas popping up right now. <laughs> Are there any other events, Jess? Nope. Uh, all right, do you guys want to do some news before we uh, talk to Michael Brent? We should probably do a little news. So we are going to talk to Michael Brent Collings. Uh, he is an author. Uh, he writes uh, a lot of different shit. Um, he is a favorite of Breeze, and uh, it's, a re- it's a really fun conversation. So uh, stay tuned for that. Um, but we're going to do some news first. <laughs> uh, so Tooele County. Um, they are joining a handful of other counties in the country suing opioid drug manufacturers. Um, this the, the reason this story is interesting, so it is it is Utah, and there's another county in Utah, I think, that's doing it. Uh, oh, Carbon, Emory, and Grand yeah. have, uh, I think, all... Let's see. Well, remember. it says a lawsuit mirrors a claim filed by Summit County. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, Summit County is one that's filed. So, uh, Carbon, Emory, and Grant are the ones with a really high rate of 41 deaths per 100,000 uh, people due to opioid overdose. So, wow. To, to Willa, and when you only have 80,000 people that live in your county. <laughs> yeah, that's a big deal, man. That's you lose two, and damn it, your yeah. numbers are through the roof. Well, and really, your repopulation outlook isn't good. A lot of incest is going to have to start happening once you hey, lose Hey, Michael Brent says you just have to have one boy, and you're good. <laughs> uh, okay, so all joking aside, this is a serious thing. The reason I bring this up isn't because it's Tooele. I mean, Tooele is 33 deaths for every 100,000 people. The reason I bring it up is this is the kind of stuff that got tobacco basically fuck tobacco, big tobacco. It was when cities and counties and states started suing and winning lawsuits against big tobacco for their advertising, for their preying on, on, on children, for their just all that kind of stuff. It was these lawsuits that really got legislation in place that changed the way that stuff was handled, that made it so they couldn't advertise, that made it so Smoke and Joe Camel went the way of the dodo. Like, it was those lawsuits. And the camel man. Or not the camel, the, the Marlboro man. The Marlboro man. No, he died of cancer. That's different. That is true. <laughs> but no, seriously, that's why you see all the, the anti-smoking PSAs now. Uh, all of that is a direct result of lawsuits. And the lawsuit being filed is saying the, the dependence on opioids as a result of legal prescribing of them has created uh, an overtaxed police force, has been a strain on the probation community, on public assistance, mm-hmm. um, and it's, it's cost us a ton of money. It's a health crisis. Uh, and you know what? We want the drug companies to, like to pay. 
No, this is a real public health crisis. <laughs> and we want those drug manufacturers to pay. And the reason, the reason they're going after them is the way those drug man, manufacturers peddled shit like OxyContin and Vicodin and those types of drugs to physicians was just unreal. And, and, and the way they got these people hooked on them was, was unbelievable with virtually no regulation for a long time. And if you have a doctor that's just willing to give you an opioid, you should get a different doctor. Luckily, it's a lot harder. Like two summers ago, I nearly cut my finger off. You got two Tylenol. Yeah, two Tylenol. Yeah, I mean they're they're they are a lot less apt to give you refills. They try yeah, to talk you away from them. When they do give them, it's like three or four, and that's it with no yeah. refill. And that's and that's the way a good doctor will treat it. So when I had my surgery on my leg, I got enough to to last me for a couple of weeks because I had pretty major surgery on my bone like my bone was fucked up it was all splintered and and you can't really um you can't take away the pain in a bone like the most painful cancer is in the bone because you're you can't block those any kind of receptors there's no you, nerves you to just stop the to kind of knock people out to give them relief from the pain but even then like this is me personally i was like hey, i don't want to keep taking these and i had to end up stepping myself down after a couple of weeks because i was totally addicted to them and it still fucking hurt, but that's better than the addiction. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I think it's it's a huge move. Um, I really hope they get traction. I really hope they can they can win the lawsuit because uh, that those are the things that's going to really propel change. Um, it's legislation eventually will come, but those lawsuits once those drug manufacturers start losing money uh, in these lawsuits, that's that's when you're going to see some real change. Uh, Love Loud. We talked about this last last summer. It's been a year, right? Wow. Um, it's coming back. So in July uh, of 2017, they did the Love Loud. Um, it was August. Uh, was it August? It says it right in the top sentence. Oh, in August. Sorry, it was in July it they says announced after it. it's and then says. August so it was in July. 17th. It was in July that they announced it. Uh, but they're coming back uh, July twenty eighth. They're going to hold another concert. Um, so again, it's Imagine Dragons. Um, but they moved it, so it was in Utah County last year. Yeah, and now it's at Ricycle Stadium. So proceeds of the the tour that's being done um, go to local and national LGBT charities, um, and uh, it's it's a lot of a lot of folks. There's two big Utah groups that were involved. So Imagine Dragons, obviously, uh, and then Tyler Glenn specifically of the Neon Trees. Uh, so they'll both be performing. Um, I don't know who Zed is. The DJ? DJ Zed. I don't know who that is. Um, Mike Shinoda, who's from Lincoln Park uh, and does a bunch of his own stuff uh, on the side. Um, I don't know who Grace Vanderwall is either. Or Va- I don't know who Vag- Vagabond and AW are. But anyway, so cool stuff. Uh, tickets uh, are on sale now. Well, they go on sale Friday. When was this article done? Yeah, so they go on sale Friday uh, and they start at 30 bucks. So something to look forward to, something to get your tickets for. I love uh, Imagine Dragons. It's a big venue uh, to be able to do it. So and it goes to a good cause. I'm gonna wait to do this one. I'm gonna do this one in a little bit. Maybe we'll do it after the interview. Sorry, I didn't do a good job organizing these this time. Uh, so this, I found this cool story on KSL uh, the other day. It was a uh, it's a a coffee shop called Mods Cafe. 
and it's just a cool little thing they do. So they do uh, essentially like a six-week sort of work and training program with homeless kids, uh, homeless youth, I shouldn't say kids, uh, but teenagers is primarily, where they come in, they teach them how to be a barista, they pay them while they're teaching them, um, so they're there four to six weeks, and then they move on and go find a real job uh, as a barista. Uh, somewhere else that pays maybe better. I don't know how much they pay, but kind of a cool little deal uh, to take these homeless youth and give them a, a sort of a, a skill, a trade skill. It's not. Have you ever been there? I've been by it. I've seen it, Mont's Cafe, but I've never. I've never been in. I don't. I don't frequent coffee shops. They're too expensive. But a lot of people do, uh, and so if you do, and you are, they're downtown, I believe. Uh, they're on four twenty two West and Night South. Uh, frequent them and and get your coffee there. They're just down from Time and Place, then, aren't they? Down and over just a little bit. Other way, yeah, quite more towards Ruby Snap. Quite about quite a bit west. Yeah, 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 closer to Ruby. Right, Snap. right, right off right. the freeway, really. Right, that's where the West Temple off ramp is, mm-hmm. or Night South West Temple, whatever it is. Cool. Someone else do the next story. It's Jeremy. It's his job. I'm I'm looking. The Utah-based Renewology offers solution to plastic waste problems. Oh, wait. So so clearly no one read it. No. Uh, (laughs) Why is this new to you? They never read it. It's true. I never read it because I print it out. (laughs) Otherwise, you wouldn't read it. No, I would because I read all kinds of news. I thought this was kind of cool. So we have a... uh, a company here called Renewology. Renew? Uh, Renewology. <laughs> I can turn your mic off. I got the power over here, you dick. Uh, anyway, they uh, they have found a way to recycle... Um, this is like liquid cremation that I was talking about yeah, a couple weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, that's what I was thinking when I read it, actually. So they found a way to recycle plastics that otherwise are a big, giant pain in the ass. So like what we're talking about here grocery is like bags? grocery bags, that, that no, type no. of plastic. Um and plastic bottles, like water bottles, they're they're difficult to recycle. But they found a way to do it. Um, basically, they heat it up in a non-oxygen environment and melt it and separate it chemically into uh, pieces that are usable for different fuels. So they, they let it vaporize, and then they let the vapors condense back into a liquid, and then they have fuels. The reason this is a big deal is as they're figuring out this process and, and you know getting all their patents down and all their permits and everything, there's a lot of people trying to find places to put this because it is so hard to recycle and they don't want to bring it in as recycling and then throw it in a landfill. Um, and so there's, I mean, Canada, they were shipping a bunch of stuff from Salt Lake to Canada. Um, China has banned a lot of that stuff. So this company, we insure this company. Cool. And cool. they make they are making a, a machine right now that they are shipping to Canada um, that that does that does this. So they can start doing this up in Canada. So uh-huh. it's a it, it's a big chemical vat then basically that they put it kind in. Kind of it, yeah. like So they make diesel, kerosene and other light fuels and then about twenty percent becomes natural gas in the process. So less than five percent of the material ends up being wasted and there's no toxic emissions created from the process. Like seventy five percent of the pieces to the machine they actually create themselves. So like in the insurance world, you know, you have to provide a serial number or VIN or whatever when you're insuring things to identify it. And they just have to assign. So they call it like PK001, PK002. And I noticed as they were changing and, and doing this, as they were growing, like 
getting a piece and making something and then put making that piece something bigger for a whole like their serial numbers would change and stuff it's it's really cool jeff jeff says that uh it's it's amazing when you go in there to look at the machine. where are they located do you know uh i don't right off the top of my head no, but they've been doing contracts like up in Idaho. So a lot of local places are banning certain types of plastic. So if you look at like a plastic and a recycle symbol, it'll tell you what kind of plastic it is. It'll give you a number. Uh, and that's kind of how they grade what can really be recycled and can't and what can easily be recycled and what's more difficult. Um, and so as different areas ban these, they're trying to give them an outlet to take these banned recycled goods to these other people. So just a really cool technological innovation coming out of Utah. Uh, again, just one of the many reasons people people like to be here. You are a liar, by the way. This is you 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 printed this story too. Jess. This. It was on the list. But you said you just added this one. Well, I added this one first, and then I added that one. Yeah, so so apparently there's... I'm a liar, so... So <laughs> you just said one, and there were two. I lied. Dick. What Son of a bitch. Say? Just like that sweater's a lie. Yes. My it's not, there's not lie. really leather underneath it. Your whole life is not a lie. Come on now. You don't need to exaggerate. Liar. <laughs> All right, Jennifer. Why don't you tell us about this? <laughs> I will, because we haven't talked about a Kickstarter in a while. And even though I'm sure there are other products out there oh, like did this. Kick, did they Kickstarter? They did. I didn't yep. see that in the article. Um, it's at the end. So even though there are probably other Chinese electronics that mimic this or whatnot, it's really cool. It comes from two BYU students uh, who submitted this concept to the Outdoor Weaver competition. And it is for a tracker. So you put the tracker on whatever you need, whether it's your keys, uh, your computer, your snowboard, your kid. Um, and the idea is that it will alert you. You set the perimeter. So whether it's 30 feet or whether it's 200 feet, that little tracker will go off to remind you that, oh, I just left my kid in the car. Which, by the way, I am not okay with moms leaving their kids in the car to run into the gas station to fill up their drink. Nope. Me either. I was so angry when I saw that the other day and I was like, and she wasn't in, it wasn't like, she what, was in there for two minutes. What you do when that happens is you <sighs> ram your car into the back of theirs <laughs> as a reminder of why they shouldn't leave babies I in the car. No, what you do is you, is you go lock all of their doors and then they come out and they can't get in. That's fucked up. That's That's bad for the kid. Anyways, no, don't do that. If windows. you can't take your your kids into somewhere, then don't go there. Because you might be or waiting your, in line or, or something's going to happen. Or leave maybe you didn't they need were, to get a drink. They were little kids. Yeah, like, if they're asleep little. taking a nap, it's okay to run to the gas station and leave them by themselves. Fuck, my mom did that all the time. That turned out great. <laughs> Anyways, so this is cool. It's good what? for like outdoor people. Why are you people. looking at me like that? And um, great for people with oh, Alzheimer's. They didn't launch it yet. They're launching it in late April. Late, okay, late April. They're trying and to raise fifty grand. Yes, they're trying to raise fifty grand. So I, I see think that it's pretty now. Cool. That is really cool. Actually, and it uses Bluetooth technology. And so, if you're afraid of forgetting things, then you can put your tracker on, like your kids. <laughs> Fucking Don't kids. Don't forget your kids. Nah, you can forget them. I try to leave them on purpose. They 
they tend to, oh my God. So where, where were we? Um, oh, so we were at the Bellagio. So this is after we ate at the Bellagio in Vegas. This is, this is a good like story about ass, asshole kids. So we're sitting there, um, and I don't know, Bree, maybe Bree was at the bathroom at the time. I don't know. We're sitting on some chairs, just relaxing me and the, and the girls. And this family walks by, and we're right by the parking garage elevators. And this family walks by, and this kid is just fucking throwing a temper tantrum like nobody's business. All these people around, and he's just like, no, And they're like, really? And then he throws himself on the floor and starts wailing about. And so... What if we did that as adults? That's what the first <laughs> thought is just to my mind when kids throw tantrums. And, like, and we're just, I want to do that. We're looking at each other, me and the girls, and we're just kind of laughing about it because there's a fuck ton of people around as this kid's doing it. And they have... Clearly, it's a family. They have a, uh, another kid, you know, two other kids with them. Uh, and and uh, the dad goes, all right, well, you can stay here. And they just leave. They just start walking towards the elevator, and the kid, boom, jumps up, runs, stops crying. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing what the power of leaving a kid in a fucking crowded area by themselves does. I thought you were going to talk about the lady that was like, here's my vagina. Here's not oh, my vagina. God. Here's my vagina. Okay, yeah, people get dressed to the nines in Vegas. Sometimes they shouldn't wear things that they wear. So this lady was a rather large lady, like really big. That's fine. Don't wear a skirt with a slit that runs all the way up your leg. Well, the problem was is because of her, her girth, it had, like, the dress had hiked way up. Yeah. So the slit was now... Like, yeah, no one can hear you right now. Sorry. The hit her So her, her <laughs> slit was now, like, up by her hip bone, but it had moved over to the center of her body. No, that's so, not. If that's the way you want to dress, whatever. So every time she walked, she gave you a flash, and she had no panties on. Yeah, it was on. very clear she had no panties on. And literally every step she took with her Well, it was left, every other step. Yeah. Well, every step she took with her, I guess it'd be her right foot. No, it was her left foot. I don't know. But every step she took with that foot, you could see her vagina clean as day. And I don't I don't know if it was clean, honestly. It was clear, but I don't think it was probably that clean. Um, but uh hey, you're Vegas, thought, you don't have to pay for but that. But my thought is my thought is why the fuck didn't any of the three other women that were with her say a goddamn thing about the fact that she was showing her JJ to the world? Like everybody, and 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 we're here where the like we're right outside where the no, it's the, at the fucking hotel lobby that she's walking right, through. and we're right outside where like that the the floral thing was. So there's tons of kids because their parents are like, let's take them over to see the flowers. Yeah, <laughs> D flower. Well, they showed they showed a flower all right. Showed a nice big juicy flower. But I just don't get how you don't feel Showing that. Some wind. Wow. Yeah, like I don't, I don't get how the you don't feel that there's like a breeze hitting you. Yeah, you would, maybe that's what her goal was. I don't well, know. I always ask that same question when when I see plumber cracks, right? Yeah, Look, don't you feel that when you bend over? I, I can, do. I can feel when my ass is hanging out, exposed to bare, 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 bare air. Bear, bear? Maybe they don't have nerve endings right, in their right. butt. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just become completely numb to everything outside of them. Because maybe they're sciatic. I, as I can feel it. I can feel it whenever my boxers. I feel like they're riding down, and my my it's still like within my. Like if the elastic my, starts my, to get shot or something. My butt crack is still within the short line. I can still feel like. That it's not in the underwear anymore. How do you not know your ass is hanging out? Or your vagina. Or your, or your vagina. vagina. I guarantee walking. Casinos aren't warm. <laughs> They're very air conditioned. I guarantee walking. She felt air. Whoosh. Whoosh. Air, whoosh, air and out whoosh. the sound. Yeah, I always know when mine is. Yeah, I mean. 
Yeah, that was that was I think that was probably one of the most interesting things. And then it was funny because we'd been we were walking along and some showgirls were walking on the sidewalk during the day and they just had pasties on and oh my the God. girls daytime, didn't really daytime showgirls are gross but they didn't really <laughs> they're like, drag queens well, in the day. they're like daytime strippers you just don't go to lunch stripper joints but the girls I mean they didn't I didn't the girls are 17 they didn't really think about it they didn't really care but then they saw some other thing that was weird and I said and you think that that's worse or better than the ladies you just saw that just had nothing but pasties on and they were like yeah, you're right. And <laughs> well, it's not that they had nothing but pasties on. It's that they were disgusting to look at. <laughs> yeah. It would like, be kind of like if I was just walking around with pasties on. Like, oh, I'm not I'm, in shape. I'm down for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it we sounds can, like you would be better than them. I can fashion some pasties for you. But so the next see, boutique. the Saturday that we were walking around, go back to being cheap. There was a really pretty like I was like, wow, Double she should like. Eight. She should be promoted to like real showgirl because she was really pretty. She was attractive. I'm pretty sure she was a real showgirl promoting a show. But the girl next to her didn't look good. That's okay. It happens. Again, she was really again, gorgeous. Showgirls in Vegas don't have to look great up close because typically they're far away. They're not strippers where you're throwing ones at them. When they have the big feather boas, they're typically in some That's sort of burlesque boa. show. Whatever the fuck it is, I don't care. When they it's look like, like a tail, or when something. they look like fucking peacocks. <laughs> Peacocks that are pretty are the boys. Should we talk about this Farmer John thing? It's so sad. So this is actually my first job. Not in Farmington, but their main farm, which for, is in Bountiful. You work so this Bangada Farms? Bangada Farms. Cool. Yeah. Um, anyways, so they have different properties throughout Davis County. And... There and this actually broke that I got home and a bunch of my friends were signing petitions on Facebook the day that we interviewed Farmer Luke. So I was like, "Oh, this is super sucks." But Farmington wants to take eleven acres of his farmland and turn it into soccer fields. So and they're trying to do that through an eminent domain process, which I'm not really sure how that works but this is this is a working farm this so, is if you go to the farmer's market you're going to see bangader farms set up like this is not just basically they've come to him and said we want to buy your land and he said go fuck yourself and they're like okay well we're going to buy it then and we're just going to do it and that's what eminent domain is so just just so you're aware if a city wants to do something or a county wants to do something and you own land or property where they want to do it there are ways that they can just fucking take it. If you well, live like home, like the homes on Redwood Road well, or Toast, look at look at the Bangor stuff on Bader. There's yeah. a lot of homes my, they've destroyed there that were ten years gone. old. Yeah, yep. um, and they will pay you what's considered fair market value sometimes for that. Oftentimes, before they invoke eminent domain, they'll come at you with a, a really nice deal. Like we're, we're going to try and do this the right way. We're going to pay you a lot. And he probably said, no, this is my land. Fuck you. So he is actually trying to protect it with the uh, 
Utah Agricultural Protection Act. Well, it started um, it started last October because they're trying to finalize a route for the West Davis Corridor. And so part of that will take eight acres of his land as well. And then they want 11 more acres for the soccer field. So you're talking 19 acres out of what he 23. 23. 23 acres. Yeah. Wow, they're just destroying like his They're destroying his business. They're destroying his entire livelihood. And and if you listen to last, was last week we talked to Farmer Luke? A couple weeks ago. A couple weeks ago. If you listen to, to Farmer Luke a couple weeks ago, it's not just that it's his business. It's his life. It's his family. It's history. He's tied to the land. Yeah. Well, I mean. He's been. They've been doing it for generations. It's like one of his kids. So they have. They have ninety acres total. Um, they. Uh, I, I mean, it says here a large portion is a hundred Davis County teen teens who help plant, weed, and harvest. I was like, how old was I? Thirteen when I started there. You know, like that was, that's what we did. It was and it just down the street. it didn't cost your parents three grand either. Yeah, it was, it was down the street <laughs> from my house. And so that's just what we did. And, you know, they've been farming since 1902. So almost as long as Farmer Luke's family. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Hopefully we can save his farm, but... Salt Lake is growing. The The area around Salt Lake is growing super fast. That growth is is going to continue to cause these sorts of things to happen. There's not enough space to build houses. And then when you get into communities that don't want you to build up, like fucking Orem. Where yeah, what the, the hell is where up the, with where that where shit? The, where Utah Valley University wants to build up so they can fit more student housing in. And people are like, well, it's going to destroy my view. Guess what? That's what happens when you live in a city. That's what happens when you live in a city that is growing as fast as this area and is. They should be happy. Like it's a it's a thriving university that people want to go to that's successful. But when they bought that land, they had a beautiful view that has been slowly eroded away. My view gone. And the other with an or with Orem, the, the other side of that too is Guess what? Student university housing isn't exactly a great resale opportunity on your land. So I, I get where they're coming from, but by the same token, that's where you live. You live in a city. New York didn't become skyscrapers overnight. There was farmland at some point on Long Island, I guarantee it. That's true. But there's probably not any anymore. And that's just what happens in big cities. If you want to farm, go to Payson. Santa Quinn. But there are ways that we can avoid that, right? Like I'm, I say that in jest. I think that we should, there should be a way to try and save this farm. So um, that's, I mean, that's a lot. This is, this is a guy's business. That's like. The difference between this and the school is that like, if you need student housing, you can't put it 10 miles away from the school. You need to have it be near the school. And since they can't go... I don't know. Have you been up to the University of Utah? That's like 10 miles away. Well, you know what I mean. No. But there's <laughs> fucking student housing is so far away it from is, campus. But it's, but it's just at the top of campus. But the the point being, there's not, there's not any place to sprawl it out unless they start buying houses and taking down houses and putting up more things. So... Well, and they've got to buy those houses to do that, and they're not always going to be up for sale. So yep. something has to give, and something will have to give here. And um, the soccer field thing to me is bullshit. Mm -hmm. there, there's no, like, I get the roadway. I get if they have to pull 11 acres or 8 acres for the for the road. 
That, put the soccer field somewhere out. But yeah, you don't need to pull 11 acres. Pulling 11 acres into eminent domain to put up soccer fields is bullshit. Farmington still has plenty of open land. Yeah, there's lots of places. You you know what you could do to put up soccer fields? Tear down that goddamn baseball stadium area that's over by Lagoon because I'm sure no one fucking cares about baseball anymore and put up fucking soccer fields there. <laughs> that's Farmington. Or... Do the combo. They There's lots of soccer teams that play on combo nope, baseball fields. Nope. Just get rid of the baseball fields. <laughs> and it actually, it's pretty easy. You just have to tear down the fencing and lay grass. Have you ever it's watched cheaper. a soccer game that's being played on a baseball field? It's really funny looking. Have you ever watched a baseball game? Yes. When was the last time? It went last summer. Um, when I watched it with you. Yeah, so that was a couple of years ago. So I think you can. It was tear more them than down. a couple of years no, ago. No one cares about baseball. You can tear them down. <laughs> Except for the people in that fucking pub we went to. Oh my god, that's a different story for a different time. Uh, do you want to talk about April being craft beer month for Salt Lake County? Why wouldn't we? That's fantastic. Oh, and it's you? only April third. So. Also, this wasn't in the list either. So I'm just saying. I know you said. But it she to me sent separate. an email that said, "I'm going to print this out." Well, I'm really sick of stuff not being in the list. Damn it! <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, April is Craft Beer Month. We talked about that a lot. We talked about it a lot last week. Salt Lake has an amazing craft brewing scene. Uh, and so, uh, I don't know. There's a whole statement that Jackie Biscoopsy put out on Twitter. Uh, go read it. I don't want to read it all here. But <laughs> Well, it's the first annual. Yeah. it's. I mean, everything's a month. At least she didn't try to take over Black History Month or Women's Month with it. So. She's she's waited for an open month. <laughs> it's Autism Awareness Month, by the way. April is. Yes, you're the blue you're wearing is Shit. is an awareness of that. Yep. That is not why I put this on. <laughs> you should you should say yeah. That's why I'm wearing it. And Jeremy's headphones are blue. All right, we'll get to this other thing later because I think hey, we're out wait, of time. Wait, time out. I just want to say something really quick. Do you know Salt Lake only had three brew pubs twenty years ago, but now we have fifteen. Yep. I didn't know that, but. Yeah, now you do. Uh, they, they've all they've all grown. So we had way back then Wasatch Squatters and Uinta. And the Utah Brewers Guild employs approximately three thousand Utahns. That's a lot of that's a lot of people between all these. So now we have let's let's try and name them. Okay, so we have Squatters, Uinta, and Wasatch. Those were the original three. Epic. Epic. R- Roja. Roja. Proper. Proper. Shades of Pale. Uh, Strap Tank. Desert. Strap Tank. Yeah. yeah. Desert Edge. Red Rock. Red Rock. Who There's else? actually a couple of brand new ones. The uh, salt, salt something brewing. Um, what's the one? Fisher. Fisher. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is down there? I'm trying to expand my search out now. On the on the. Well, on strap the tank's not brewery. strap tank's not Salt Lake County, right? But that's you. Is this a Utah thing number? Or just Salt yeah. Lake County? Nope. It's it's, it's Utah. There's a couple up in Ogden too. I know of. Talisman. Yeah. Damn, we've got like 13 of them or 12 of them. That's not bad. No. no. And we've interviewed a lot of them, too. No. Nope. No. We not actually brewers. haven't. Well, at all. Distillers. <laughs> in fact, I don't, think we've, <laughs> I don't think we've interviewed a single brewer yet. But we will. Have we not? In a couple weeks. No. Oh. No. For 100? No, we no. don't have anyone for yeah. 100. We need to talk about that off here. Jalapeno poppers for 100. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> so with us today, we have uh, author Michael Brent Collings. I mean, you do more than just author books, right? Um, I have made babies. 
Um, <laughs> That's a start. I mean, I, I'm a man of many talents. I contact juggle. Uh, I have been known to dig for nose trolls, but I, I'm over that now because I'm not in kindergarten anymore. Um, so, but I do lots of things. I'm amazing. Look, you were just telling us about people getting into your parents' sex life, and you start out with, I make babies. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I get that. I'm asking for it in that other interview, wasn't it? <laughs> I guess I shouldn't. I shouldn't have led with. I saw my parents having sex when I was what five. Like yeah. that was literally the first thing I said on that podcast, and it just went downhill from there for some reason. <laughs> I have I have memories of taking showers with my grandmother when I was really little. Like bits of, of memory. Like that's not something you want to ever recall. That's weird. See, that's the sort of thing that most normal people block out. Yeah, apparently I'm I'm free to remember everything in my childhood. <laughs> it's disturbing. It's not a good thing. Oh my gosh, that's so creepy. So, so have you have you ever lived in Utah yourself, or have you always been up in Idaho? No, I I actually um, grew up in California, right outside of Los Angeles. And uh, my family and I, my wife and I, realized that Los Angeles was very rapidly becoming a new unmarked part of the seventh circle of hell. And, <laughs> like, our kids had literally never played in the front yard. So one day my dad comes in, and he was a creative writing director at, at Pepperdine University. And out of the blue, he's like, I'm taking early retirement. Your mother and I are moving to Utah. And I had a very selfish response, which was my in-laws live in Idaho, and I don't want to do freaking split Christmases for the rest of my life. <laughs> and I'm serious. That was totally my first response. Like, my dad's leaving. I was just thinking, oh, holidays are going to be a bitch. And so I, I said, you know, have you, have you bought a house? They said, we picked one. And I was a lawyer at the time, so I said, listen, go pick up the contract, bring it back, I'll look it over. Oh, hey, the Barbies, you can, that's my in-laws, you can swing by their place on the way back, you like them. And so my, my dad and mom are like, that's a good idea, and they leave, and then I immediately call my father-in-law, who's a realtor, and I say, Pop, my parents are coming up in two weeks, you have three hours to sell them the house, or you will never see us again. <laughs> and I'm not exaggerating, this isn't like a storytelling version of it, this is what happened. And so my mom does all the driving and stuff and so she went up by herself to pick up the stuff and then right on schedule she called me two hours after getting to Idaho and goes hey we're moving to Idaho instead we just bought a house click and so we <laughs> wow it was pretty nice what part of Idaho we live in uh, Meridian which is just right outside the only city that most people know which is Boise pray for Boise yeah. I was born yeah, in Pocatello. It, so oh, okay. My family's from Pocatello. Okay. Which nobody awesome. else has heard yeah. of. <laughs> you know, it's like Mormons have heard of Pocatello and people from Pocatello have heard of Pocatello. That's right. That's yeah. Yeah, if you don't if you don't live in like the western side of Montana, Wyoming, Utah or Idaho, you don't know what Pocatello is. However, Pocatello is close to where our favorite movie was filmed. Our favorite movie of all time. No, your favorite movie. I detest Napoleon that movie. Dynamite. You got it. Preston, Idaho. <laughs> so, Napoleon Dynamite, I watched that movie the first time and this is my expression the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> like I felt really sad. It was almost, because there's people with mental disabilities. So I'm like, I mean, 
when I was a kid, we were taught, excuse my language, but this is kind of like the lingo that existed when I was a kid. It was like, don't laugh at the retarded boy. And <laughs> that's what I felt like I was doing in the whole movie. It was so uncomfortable. And then I watched it again for some reason. Like I didn't set out to go, I need to understand the ethos of that movie. But I watched it and the second time was hysterical. My mom still has got this whole don't laugh at the retarded boy thing. And she just like, I've watched her watch parts of it and she's so uncomfortable. I hate that show. I, see, I, I don't. Hate it. I don't see him as the retarded boy. Maybe that's because. Maybe that's my maybe problem. That's the maybe problem. That's why I hate it. Well, I mean, that's. I was that kind of really geeky kid. I you was were the way retarded more boy? socially like active. <laughs> but I was. I was that geeky. Like I still played with. Well, I don't know if I played with toys that late in high school. Uh, no. Openly, but uh, yeah, I Did mean that. Was, have a date. Oh yeah, I had dates. Then you didn't play with toys that late in high school. <laughs> well, he also grew up in Wyoming. Green uh, River, well, Wyoming. Not I guess if you're either. dating sheep and cows, the standards are lower. <laughs> Thanks. That was good. <laughs> so let me ask you, because cause I, I, I know that you, you used to practice law. When, when did you stop being an attorney and, and move full-time into this writing thing? Um, I stopped being an attorney the day my uh, the partners at my law firm, where I was a partner, uh, invited me in and said, essentially, we don't like you anymore. Can you leave by the end of the day? And I, <laughs> and I, and I tried to get reasons out of them, and I suspected. I knew my wife had been very ill, so um, I was working essentially part-time for like two years just trying to take care of her and take care of the kids and be a lawyer. And, and so I, I kind of figured it was that. And, but the only concrete thing they said was they complained that I was writing books and I was sitting there going, I really thought lawyer was as low on the totem pole. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that lawyers look down on fiction writers, I, 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 it boggled me. they They don't, I don't think they understand what fiction is. Well, I, you know, I don't know what happened, but it was it was good timing. I mean, I had just sold a couple of screenplays, and my first kind of hit was um, Run, and it was doing really well. And so we had enough money to do it. It just like I wasn't ready to give up the health benefits yet, so it was kind of a it was kind of a surprise. But it, you know, it worked out. That's crazy. Yeah, that's uh, has has that Im- impacted your writing in terms of of giving you ideas or you know <laughs> it's impact it's totally impacted my writing and here's how it's my ideas come like this i need to pay for my kids food so what's gonna sell <laughs> you know i'm i'm not one of those people like i see people get up and and i and i don't know what's in their hearts so i can't judge like them um but people who refer to themselves as artists and you know they have this vision and i just kind of view myself as a guy who's making hamburgers and if you don't like the way i cook it i'm going to do it different next time and hopefully sell more hamburgers cuz really that's i'm just a guy doing a job and and it's a cool job in a lot of ways but it's also a scary job and to minimize the fear level, the best I can do is sort of try and uh, build in some security. And, and job security as an author, the, the definition of job security is whatever the total of your last royalty check was. So you really, you really, if you're going to 
be a professional and have any kind of longevity. You have to treat yourself as a business and that involves product analysis. So like I will sit there when I'm, when I'm coming up with a new idea, usually I've got an idea kind of on deck when I finish a book. So I just, I give myself a half day off between books every time. That's like my, my, my given. I get a half day off. I go see a movie. I just relax. I play video games, whatever I want. And then the next day I'm already writing the next one. So Usually there's ideas percolating, but on the rare occasions where I'm I'm going to think of an idea now, I just literally turn circles in whatever room of the house I'm in. My wife and kids know not to talk to me. I'm not going to be mad or anything. I just won't understand whatever language they're speaking right then. It all sounds like, like the Peanuts adults, like, wah, 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 you know, and <laughs> – and um, and I and it's just a question of going over. Well, what's scary? Well, what's fun? Well, what's exciting? Oh, this is no, that sucks. That's been done. This isn't good enough. And it's it's like me just layering levels of of cool or scary or whatever uh, emotion I'm going for until I think, well, that's going to get everybody because um, that's my goal. I would love to have a book that everybody in the world bought. I would not have to worry about it as much anymore. That's, uh, that's that's an interesting that's way to come goal. up with yeah, and it's an interesting way to to come up with with stories. So for those of our those in our audience that are wondering why we're we're talking to you, first off, uh, you have quickly become one of Bree's favorite artists, if not her favorite author uh, oh, out there. That is that actually makes me really happy. Like one of the things that I worry most about. I mean, really, I mean what I say. I'm out there to make money for my family because I'm a dad and I'm a husband and those are my biggest jobs and my most important jobs. And so I want to take care of that. But the other, the next thing is like, I really want people not to waste their time. Um, and anytime somebody walks up to me at a comic con, I mean, I've sold a couple of books at this point and anytime someone goes, Hey, I read one of your books. Like my first reaction is to kind of go and lean back. So I'm <laughs> at the range, you know, because I worry about that. So to hear that, that makes me, that makes my day on a level you can't even understand. I think what's, what's great about when I read your books is they're, I mean, they're, they're terrifying. The premise behind them, you know, there's a good horror story premise, but there's, there's comedy relief, which is kind of nice and, and unusual, um, to have that little bit of, you know, chuckle that you can have right in the middle of something horrific happening. I like that about it. That's life, right? Because, you know, I tell people that all, all horror is, all screaming is, or all laughing is, rather, is a socially acceptable alternative to screaming. Because we are laughing so much of the time as just a coping mechanism. And, and I think the best horror books mirror that. And there, I mean, there's a reason why 100% of the top box office spoofs are horror movie spoofs. And it's because they're almost exactly the same thing. Comedy and horror, the only difference between them is lighting and how close up the camera gets. Um, but they deal with the same stuff, and they often deal with it on, in almost the same exact way. So um, I'm glad that works for you because I really think that's important. So we we wanted to talk to you because we see you at every every comic convention here in Salt Lake. Um, it seems like you're, you're at all of them. You do a lot of panels. You always have your books for sale. Uh, you do signings. How did you get involved with them the first time? And, and how has that progressed where you're continually invited back? Um, you know, it's funny The my, my dad, like I uh, think I told you before we started, or maybe when we started, I'm a writer. I'm not competent at very much. <laughs> um, my dad was this creative writing director. And so he had gone to, 
um, the symposium called LTUE, Life, the Universe, and Everything, which is held in Provo every year. And, and for those listeners who want to be writers, that is the best writing symposium in the world for my money. I mean, it just can't be beat. And so my dad had been there every single year for 30 years. And I wrote a book and it was like, Hey, I don't actually have to sleep with somebody to get in on this because my dad's already involved. And plus like, this is not a face that gets into things by sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) But it really was like my dad knew, um, my dad and my mom knew, and I almost hesitate to say it, which tells you something about the environment we're in today, I guess. But my parents knew James Dashner before he became this big thing. And then before he did whatever happened recently. And, and so I had written a, a middle grade book and my parents gave it to him and he read it and I had my first blurb and between my dad being at LTUE forever and that blurb by James Dashner, I got on some panels and, um, and I was actually on panels with James and this was right when Maze Runner was taking off. And then, uh, I was on with, with Brandon Mull and a couple really big wigs. So they're like, well, I've sold a billion books. And I'm like, I wrote a fun character. You know? <laughs> but the, the thing is, like, I think the reason I get invited back is because I've always shot my two goals on any panel are be the second dumbest person in the room because that means at least one person's impressed with you and <laughs> be enthusiastic. Like I've been on all these panels. I'm always on zombie apocalypse panels because I've written a zombie apocalypse series called the colony saga. And it goes down these, these credentials and some guys like I'm from Fangoria. I've written about zombies for 30 years. I grew up in Haiti. I actually make zombies. You know, I researched <laughs> a dissertation and I'm like, I like zombies. And that's kind of, me, you know, and I, I think sometimes I just represent instead of the every man, the every fan. I'm just a guy who's, who's up there enjoying the crap out of this. And, and I think that's really valuable for fans to see is that, that you can be a professional in this industry and, and you can have fun in this industry. And like, I will admit it. I have a great family. I have a super smart, super nice, scorching hot wife. And people look at that and they go, well, if that guy did it, and so I think there's some appeal there. <laughs> so one of the Bree and I, and we'll get into your writing in, in a bit. But one of the things that we enjoy, so we we do panels when we go to Comic Con, we set a little bit aside uh, to go walk the floor and see the artists and the authors and talk to them. But also, what we like to do is go to panels. And one of the panels that we always go to, you seem to always be involved in, and that is the the fake trial stuff that you guys do. <laughs> And those, those are quite possibly the most hysterical panels. Yeah, that was the brainchild of Craig Nibo, who is, he's one of those guys that's like, he looks sideways at something and becomes an expert in it. I mean, I knew I was dealing with another level of talent when he said, hey, come and listen to my band play. And instead of pulling out like, a, he, he had a guitar and he's warming up and then he plays the, you know, the percussion and then he's playing with the keyboard. And I'm like, what is this guy going to play? And the actual starts. So his band starts playing and his band is like 800 people, by the way. And... <laughs> And he comes out with a whip saw, like the big lumberjacky saws, and a bow for a violin, <laughs> playing the saw. And I'm going, yeah, I'm, I can't compete with this. This is just ridiculous. <laughs> so he came up one day and he said, hey, let, I want to do a, a, uh, a court case, and I'll be the judge. 
and this other guy named Dave Butler, who's a really amazing writer, and he's he's on the verge of exploding, I think, popularity-wise. He wrote a really good book called Witchy Eye, and a really great sim, uh, sequel just came out. And um, Dave used to be a lawyer as well, and so he thought, let's do these guys together, and the question will be civil rights of the undead. And Dave prepared – Dave's a smart guy. He's not the enthusiastic one. He's smart. And so he prepared briefs, and he sent us law – like, he's sending us law on applicable statutes and stuff like that. And he gets up, and he does this totally professional, dynamite opening statement to the jury. And, and then I walk out, and I put on a gold bow tie, and I said, my fellow counsel <laughs> – Seems to think, you know, and I just played the, the huckster southern lawyer who is just folksy but doesn't actually know anything. And um, and it was a jury of our peers, so it was a bunch of nerds, which meant I won because <laughs> they were lawyers, you know. And um, and that was so much fun. And then we were supposed to do it again the next year, and, and Dave, Dave knew he was going to lose again. So he made his gallbladder explode. <laughs> <laughs> And I was so upset because I made, like, I couldn't be a Southern gentleman again, so I had to be different. So I made an entire, like, magistrate's wig from Britain <laughs> out of my wife's curlers and a whole lot of cotton batting. That's awesome. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's so good. I wear it sometimes to feel pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and is it Craig or Dave that's really tall? That's Dave. Dave's that's Dave. the gen- that dude is tall. Yeah, and he slouches, and he's still 18 feet tall. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, so anyway, yeah, I, I just wanted to talk about that. And then I guess my next question is, I know you don't just write horror, but uh, that's the primary focus of what you write. Um, why why horror? Why did you choose horror? Well, so I don't actually think of myself as a horror writer. I just kind of think of myself as a guy who tells these stories. And so I've written everything from horror all the way to Western romance. I write Western romance under a, under the pen name Angelica Hart. And, um, and, and I'm not ashamed of it. It's just like, for some reason, women don't want to read these romance books by a guy who pulls people's heads off and his other stories. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That makes it's, sense. It, 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 the whole world. Um, but the thing is, like, my dad, for about 20 years, he was the world expert on Stephen King. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean, Stephen King knew a lot about Stephen King. My dad knew almost as much. Stephen King's mom probably came in a close third. (laughs) So I grew up with screaming and typing in the next room my whole childhood. My dad would be watching a Stephen King movie or, you know, writing a book about Stephen King. And so it wasn't so much that, like, I chose horror as it was just my environment. So... It, it it's something I understand. It's like a home base. So I can go out and explore the area of science fiction or fantasy, and then when I'm feeling terrified and, like, I really suck at the universe, I can go back to horror because I kind of get that, you know. And, um, and my fans just kind of developed in that area most. So the nice thing is they're willing to go with me anywhere. I mean, when I released my first Angelica Hart book, it's the funniest thing. You have to go on Amazon because they do this thing like, you know, people, for my horror novels, people who like horror rate it four out of five stars. People like science fiction, three out of, you know, whatever. You go to my romance books and it says people who like Western romance, 4.5 out of 5. People who like 
plain romance, 4.8 out of 5. People who like horror, 4.9 out of 5. And it, I, there's no other horror writer, <laughs> writer that has that, so I think that's great. Um, but if I kind of stay away from horror too long, they get antsy. They're like, hey, scare us again. It's been a while. And, and that's a nice problem to have. Yeah, for sure. So I know the story because you've told it to me, but uh, I want our listeners to hear the story of why you started writing the, the Billy Messenger books, right? That's what they're called? Yeah, yeah, the um, the Billy saga. Um, yeah, the first one's called Billy Messenger's Powers. And so, like, I alluded to my wife, and she really is. She's super smart. She's so nice. Um, and she's just, she's a great person and she is really way too pretty for me. Like I'm one of those people, they look at me and they look at her and they look at me and they're like, how much does she cost an hour? Cause she's <laughs> clearly out of my, my range. And, um, and so she's somebody I don't want to piss off and somebody I don't want to lose. And she walks in one day and says, honey, I love you. I love your books, but if you don't write something that I can read without putting the cops on speed dial and turning on every light in the house, I'll divorce you. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll take that into consideration because I'm an artist. No, I'm just kidding. I went, okay, my, my main audience wants me to make a different hamburger. So I looked at her bookshelf, and she likes Harry Potter, and she likes Percy Jackson. And she's she actually reads a wide variety of things, but she... Her home base is like middle grade fantasy. So I wrote her um, Billy Messenger of Powers, which is a middle grade fantasy, and gave it to her on her birthday. And she was so happy. So it worked out because, like, the book sold really well. Um, and it still kind of spikes every once in a while, which is nice. And I totally got to make out that night. Yeah, I was going to say, that's like the <laughs> ultimate kind of birthday gift, right? It was sweet. It's the uh, it's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and and now she gets mad at me for something because I do stupid stuff all the time, and I can pull out and be like, "But I love you." <laughs> I'm gonna let Bree start asking some questions now because she has a bunch. Okay, she has like a novel full of questions. Well, that's for you. not that's it's not a novel full. <laughs> so, like I said, my my friend has a she she reread Apparition. That was. She's kind of, um, so when I, I was, she was looking for new books to read. She's, she's a voracious reader and she reads everything. She reads nonfiction. She reads fiction. She reads women, men, authors. It, it doesn't matter. If she thinks it might be interesting, she so will read it. Turn her on to Angelica Hart. Yeah, yeah. I might. <laughs> and so, um, you know, she had just, she had just mentioned that she was maybe looking for some books. And I said, well, I, I think you should re bring, read this book and so i bring in this book and so it has roaches on the cover and she immediately says what are you giving me to read so what i'm referring to is is apparition and it's about you know parents who are possessed and kill their kids sweet like like so, not in nice ways, not like have, have I'm going to put a pillow over my kid's face and smother them or run them into, you know, a lake and drown them. But like really wait, vicious wait. ways. Let's pause on the fact that you said not in nice ways. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Well, come on. You haven't ever wanted to kill your kids. Have your kids yeah, read never this book? Like, well, this would be a nice way. <laughs> have your kids read this book? No. And you know what? It's funny because that's <laughs> actually. That's the one book no one in my family has read. My wife 
I told her the subject matter, and she went, no, thank you. And then I'm kind of proud of this next one. My, my mom didn't want to read it either, same reason. And my dad, who, again, world expert on Stephen King, he worked as an editor for a publishing, a horror publishing company. He's critiqued thousands of horror novels, and he got 60 pages in and went, nope, uh-uh, all done. I loved this book, and she loved this book, and she's totally obsessed with it. Whenever we were talking about books and, and we end up on the subject of you, this is this is the 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 book we end up talking about because she's she's obsessed with like how some moms are are psychopathic and some seem to be possessed and she even gave examples of like um so Andrea Yates um and Susan Smith and how she thinks one was possessed but one's just a psychopath like she's she's really like putting this into real life and 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 thinking about it and and she's she's wondering you know she's thinking how how in real life those kind of people can't be lumped together and and how you differentiate and and how you how you make this um this not real subject seems so real because these real things happen where real parents are killing their kids. Um, how did, I guess, how did you decide that you would make these parents possessed and not psychopathic or some other, for some other reason that they're doing these horrible things? You know, that was, that was a tough book in a lot of ways because, and I, and I talk about this, this isn't me like bearing my soul or being anything weepy or weird. I talk about it in the afterword of the book, but my wife and I lost a kid. And, um, and that's a tough thing. That is something that stays with you forever. I mean, we had our fourth uh, child that we brought home from the hospital and you know we did the thing where you pull out of the, the hospital parking lot and she's back there with the new baby in the car seat and everything's wonderful and I pulled up eight feet pulled over and this is 13 years later or something and just start weeping um, because this was something that I had wanted to do with my first baby and didn't get to so you know it's something that that stays with you and so I was dealing with that. And again, I'm not an artist. I don't believe that I should get to do therapy f with you and then you have to pay me for it. That's not how therapy ever works, you know? <laughs> you pay the therapist. And so if I'm expecting you to pay me, it has to be rewarding for you. So, it, But it was on my mind a lot, obviously. And so I started thinking about story ideas, partly as a way of handling it, but partly whenever as a human being I go that's uncomfortable that's scary that's terrifying I know that's probably something that affects other people and and it's not totally crass because part of what horror does that no other genre can do is it shows us the things that are scary and and the best horror has the scary things win and then places it in a framework of but there's tomorrow and maybe we can win tomorrow. And so I'm thinking about all these things, and I started researching um, parents who lose their children, and I kind of, as I'm doing that, I'm thinking, what would be scarier than losing your own children, murdering your own child? And I am looking at this research, and I realized there's a body of research on killing your kids, which to me says, number one, there are some messed up research. 
And number two, it happens enough that there's research on it. I mean, you don't see research on people who play golf on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and are hit by lightning while simultaneously being followed by a fruit bat because (laughs) it doesn't happen. (laughs) So there's this scientific body of literature on this thing, and it kind of blew me away. And, And I am a person who believes there's good out there. There's capital G good and there's capital E evil. And in my world, the world that I believe in and the world I hope is real, the good wins. Um, And so I prefer to think about the possibility of an outside force rather than just having a story that boils down to, and then because she was evil, she murdered her babies, the end, go and cry. You know, and it's not a happy book. Stretch of the imagination. No, it's not. But again, it you know, it's I'm trying to make it operate in a framework in, uh, that kind of positions or posits a greater morality, and that's that's another nice thing about horror. Is if you have any other genre, if you talk about God, you are either the Christian wacko or you're the psycho, <laughs> and no other alternative. But in horror, you could be those things, but you could also be like the old prophetess in the cornfield who leads the good people in the stand to redemption. I mean, they say, she's like, God followed, told me what to do. And they go, okay, sounds good. And you can't do that in any other genre. So um, in talking about the supernatural reasons, you know, behind what was happening in apparition, I'm able to open it up to this larger kind of metaphysical question of good versus evil and where our ability to choose fits in. Do you believe in the paranormal yourself? Um, I always have to ask for people to define that for me because that could mean a whole bucket of things. Well, but we should let Jeremy define that. What do you think? Huh. He laughs. Jeremy used to run a paranormal investigation group. Well, I would have to agree with you. It depends on what you're talking about because there's a lot involved with it. Um, I suppose uh, you look at the very basic. People die, their spirits go somewhere. Yeah, I, I definitely. Mean, and it's sometimes their spirits or whatever you choose to call it, their energy is visible or attainable to us in this world, and sometimes we interact and cross paths. Yeah, um, so theologically, I believe in an afterlife, and theologically, I believe that the, the only purpose of believing in an afterlife is to believe that we can get there, and it's a good place. And so logically, if we can get there and it's a good place, people with the power to exist there can come here if they need to for whatever reason. So, you know, from a logical and theological standpoint, um, I definitely believe that. And I have seen some stuff that just I thought was the scariest crap ever. And it wasn't like I've ever seen, you know, a ghost. But I remember I was a missionary. Um, I am LDS, so that's part of the Utah connection, you know. (laughs) Well, that's, that's, you know, Idaho is basically Utah. Just an extension of of Utah. Utah. Yeah, where all the good Mormons went. So (laughs) (laughs) there's some truth to that. (laughs) So I was on my mission and we were, I I was in Paraguay, which is a place that's very steeped in religious belief. I mean, you walk up to somebody in the United States and go, Hey, let's talk about God. And they start looking for a bat to beat you with. And there you go, Hey, let's talk about God. And they'll like pull out chairs. They'll give you something to drink. And they're like, let's talk about God. And (laughs) so my companion, my missionary, 
and, and that's not anything weird, just you're always with another missionary. And um, we were walking around meeting people and stuff, and it got pretty late. And we walked to this house, and you didn't knock on doors there, you clapped. Um, so we clap, and this lady comes out, and she's got like, she's wearing this white floaty nightgown. So first of all, she freaking ghosted her way out to us, right? And <laughs> It was, seriously, it was disquieting. So that was where, you know, I'm starting to think, as far as do I believe, there was definitely something right from the beginning, and it wasn't just the way she walked out. The second she came into view, my stomach just clenched, and there was some very bad mojo in the air. Um, but we're doing our job. We're being missionaries. And, and plus, you know, if we're, if we're telling the truth, then God should be on our side. We should be okay. And... <laughs> Right, that's the theory. So she invites us in, and we sit down with her, and we realize, because there's no electricity in this part of, of Paraguay, so we're sitting there by candlelight. I mean, we all, we're basically walked into a preset seance, and <laughs> sitting there, and she's got something in her finger that we couldn't quite see um, because it was so dark, and she's doing something like this. And, and I started to realize she is digging holes in her skin with a needle. Oh. Yeah, it gets weirder. And so <laughs> we're, we're talking to her, and she's responding, and she's actually, you know, we're having a nice conversation, aside from the fact that she is barbarically tattooing her flesh right in front of us. Other than that, it was pleasant. And so we're talking to her, and then all of a sudden she starts responding for a fourth person that we can't see, and then she takes the needle and just rams it into her ear. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. And didn't respond at all to it. It was like, hey, check this out. Whammo. And she keeps talking. And so does the fourth person that she's talking for. And by that, I mean, she, you know, would say, so do you believe in God? You know, it's gotten weird at this point. Um, and it's funny, though, because culturally, we're the white guys in Paraguay, and we don't want to be rude. It's like, she's going to eat our skin face. Um, but <laughs> don't believe they'll think poorly of the missionaries. So we're sitting there kind of like looking for an exit strategy. Booyah! And she's like, what did you say? You know, and so she's literally doing the whole, oh, that's a very interesting point. What do you think about that missionary? And we're like, what did, what are you talking about? She goes, well, the question was, and so she's relaying these questions. So at a, you know, as soon as the ear thing happened, we're like, and we got to go, you know, the whole politeness thing disappeared at that point. And we walked out and I kid you not, like, I mean, my, my companion and I, we were both young men. We're physically strong. This lady weighed maybe 85 cents, you know, and I've done martial arts my whole life, my whole life. My companion at the time, he was a martial artist as, as well. We knew how to, you know, take care of ourselves and neither of us could stop trembling for hours. And, and to this day, like my kids will say, what's the scariest thing that happened when you're a missionary? And I don't tell them that story because <laughs> Cause you want them yeah. to go on a mission maybe. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I'll tell them like I was shot at, that's no big deal. But the chick who was <laughs> tattooing herself. Um, and again, I, so I have experience with actual crazy people. Like I've worked with people who are clinically insane i've i've substitute taught for lots of, of <laughs> that sounds bad but no like there's kids who have special needs and i've worked a lot with them and they range from like 
you know, isn't that cute? He's very sweet. Oh, he's always happy. And we know what we're talking about. To, well, there's Rain Man. To, uh-oh, everybody clear the chairs. Damien's in the room. And and so there's this whole, like, spectrum when you're dealing with somebody who has a mental disorder. And this woman did not fit on that spectrum. She was on a whole other level, and weird crap was happening. And I could not get out of there fast enough. And if you honestly goodness gave me the choice again saying like this guy's gonna point a gun at you and you're gonna sit or you can sit with the needle ramming chick i'd be like i'm pretty sure he's a bad shot (laughs) (laughs) so um so she's read my friend has read strangers and apparition and she noted that both of them are kind of about family destruction and Mm -hmm. and you know, families that are in crisis. And so she was, she was kind of wondering, and, and that's a short, you know, that's a short list of all of the books, but, it, and I've only read three of, of the millions of books that you've, that you've written. Um, <laughs> but you mentioned, you, you mentioned your family specifically in The Longest Con and, and both of those books are about family. Is that just kind of a running theme? Because it does seem like your family is super important to you. Yeah. Well, it definitely is. And so I do want to write for other people, but it does start with me. I mean, I can't just kind of externally say, well, that would be scary to someone else. It always starts with something that's scary in my life, and then I broaden it out to attract other people. And and so, first of all, I think there there a lot of the horror stories are, or better said, you talk to somebody and you say, I like horror, and they go, oh, I don't like horror. And you really talk to them, and 99% of the time you will realize it's not horror they dislike. It's horror posters. It's the perceptions. It's the perception of horror. It's it's the guy's dismembered fingers on the saw poster, and that's kind of their feeling about horror. And also, there are teens banging each other in the woods, and I'm not wild about that either. Says the same person, and those are legitimate gripes. And so I think. Just as a, from a sales perspective, I've never been a hot teen banging in the woods. <laughs> like most people haven't. You may get one or you may get the other, but very few people have the full hot teen banging package. <laughs> so as soon as you're writing about that stuff, you're writing to a very small audience. Almost everybody alive today has had a parent. And so... <laughs> it, <it's, laughs> You had to think about that. As soon as you're talking about a family, it's something a lot more universal. So, I mean, just from a crass kind of marketing perspective, if I write about hot teen naked in the woods, machete man, part three. You do that it, under Angelica Hart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's spelled H-E-A-R-T and it's bloody on the cover. It's totally <laughs> But as soon as you as soon as you get into that territory, it's a very limiting territory, and there's a lot of, of of fun to be had maybe in the blood. And people talk about the kills, and if you go on YouTube and you you know Google Friday the Thirteenth, one of the things that's going to pop up as an you know as a suggestion is kills, Nightmare on Elm Street deaths and things like that because it almost becomes rather than a story, it becomes an appreciation of and an aesthetic that involves how can we murder somebody creatively? And and I'm not saying there's no skill to that, and it can actually be a lot of fun. I mean, like, if I'm awake at 3 a.m., 
I'm watching TNT. They've got the Hills Have Eyes Part 8 edited. <laughs> it makes no sense at all. And I'm just watching it and having fun. And, and you know, there's something to be said for that. People think, you know, it could be cathartic. It's a group, it's a group therapy thing. There's a whole bunch of theories why it can be good or bad for us. But it boils down to it's kind of fun sometimes. But fun is a very transitory state. And fun um, depends on a constant upping of the levels of gratification. So that's why these movies, you know, Nightmare on Elm Street worked really well, and it was a, it was a groundbreaking movie. But all they know how to reproduce really from that movie and what they focus on are Freddy's one-liners and killing people in the dreams. And it was Johnny Depp's first movie. Yeah, it was so dreamy. <laughs> and, but, like, you look at the movie Saw, which, again, changed the way – it really changed the way horror movies are made. And people say, oh, Saw is awful, Saw is torture porn, this – well, if you watch Saw, really watch it. First of all, it's a very redemptive story. It's a very moral story. And, um, interestingly, James Wan and Lee Whannell, the writer and director, they realized when they had finished shooting it that they had a PG-13 drama character piece. And so a lot of the shots of guts and gooiness, it's just hands in the guts and gooiness because Lee Winnell and James Wan went back and Lee Winnell stuck his hands in and did gooey things. And they added that in order to get this kind of look they were going for. But the core of it is this story about values and about appreciation of your life. But again, it did well and the studios got it and they said, okay, we don't know how to deal with that so Let's talk about the traps. And it became uh, a parody of the traps over time. So anytime you're in that kind of an area, you're going to have a diminishing return. You can only be fun with the same amount of, of uh, ingenuity for a short period of time. And then you have to up it and up it. And eventually, very quickly, it gets ridiculous. But if I look at any one of you and say, oh, my gosh, what's your mom's name? And you say, you know, Janine, I go, I thought so. I think she's in the hospital. And if I say it was a straight face, you are pissing yourself. And it doesn't matter that I don't know your mom. And you're thinking, he doesn't know my mom, but wait, he said Janine was in the hospital. And, and, it, and it totally short circuits even the fact that you gave me the name. <laughs> you know, because we all glom onto that. That is a, a critical part of human existence is the protection lent to us by our families if, if things are going right. Obviously, there's families that are horrible and that that doesn't work. But if things are doing what they're supposed to be doing, family is protection, it's protective, and it's something we protect. And so as soon as you say the family was in jeopardy, you have an instant buy-in. Do do stories like that crazy family in in California and the couple in Tokerville, Utah, that had their kids like chained up in a basement or locked in a bathroom for for weeks on months on years? Do those types of real life stories make you think, boy, I should write something like that? No, they don't. <laughs> no, because and here's the thing: is is the world is a really rough place. It's a tough place to live. And it, and it only gets tougher in a lot of ways, which sucks because, like, oh, I don't know why Billy killed himself. He was so young. He was only 16. He had so much to live for. But you go to Billy's school yesterday, and Billy's like, I'm having a terrible time. And sure enough, some adult's going to say, well, you should enjoy it because it only gets worse from here. No wonder he sucks started a, a shotgun, you know. It, and it is a real hard thing 
for people to grapple with that, that our life is difficult and nasty. And there's enough of that shoving itself in the face of our lives 24-7. And so even though I write horror, my goal is not to make your life nastier. My goal is to show you that the nasty stuff is only part of it. And hopefully it's the part that you can beat. And and so when I see these awful stories, the only thing that happens is my heart hurts. You know, because like anybody else, I I hope for a good life and I hope for happiness for me and for everybody. And it is really hard to have that hope when some little kid's been abused by their parent. Um, and in fact, like another one of my books is called Twisted, and it's a ghost story, but it is about child abuse. And because there's a ghost that's in this family and it's coming for the children, but the dad at the same time, he's a child of abuse and he's aware there's a cycle. And so the whole time this book is happening, he's under more and more pressure. And the real question becomes, is he going to become the evil? And it becomes a lot less about this ghost. Um, and, and so I don't need to make stories that say life sucks because there's already proof of that. I need to make stories that say, here's a sucky thing about life, but it's not the only thing. That's cool. Um, Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) No, it it, it is. I mean, it it lends to that that humor thing that I brought up earlier that you do try and, it sounds dumb to say it this way, but you do try and keep it light. You're reading it. You've got to keep the lights on. You know, uh, you're reading it at night and, and you definitely don't want to hear sounds and noises and you want somebody in the bed next to you to make sure that, you know, there's a, a touch of reality to whatever you're experiencing. But that humor helps, you know, put a little bit of, of, I don't know, this is, this is just a story back in your brain yeah. instead of getting so caught up in it that you forget and, and talk yourself into something absolutely crazy. No, I, I totally agree. It's a nice break, and, and it keeps it from just being one punch to the gut after another. I mean, everybody needs a break from that. And, and like, I wrote a my zombie apocalypse series called The, the Colony Saga, and the characters in it, it's not like most, most zombie stories, you know, they run and they find a Walmart or someplace with guns, and they batten down the hatches, and they try and survive there, and then the rapey guy next door gets rapey. <laughs> fight about that stuff well in this series they are the whole first book is about them getting four miles across town to see if somebody is alive or not and they have like a total of two bullets and a crowbar that's their entire armory and so in that book um there is no sitting down i think they finally take an actual break as opposed to i'm unconscious they take an actual break i think in book three and one of the things that I found about that, it's a really fun series, um, but a lot of people just couldn't hang with it because it was just too much all the time. And so I have these really, it, it did quite well sales-wise, and I have these really rabid, like, this is the best thing ever. Michael Bay could do this movie if he was on amphetamines. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's not? But it is hard for people to, you know, now this thing happens. Now this thing happens. Now this thing happens. And so it is nice. It's kind of an easy way for me to take a break is to inject a little levity. And because look, I have major depressive disorder and I have suicidal tendencies and psychotic breaks. Oh yeah. And uh, 
and that's and one of the ways I cope is by making fun of stuff. And if you can laugh at it, it's not as bad anymore because you've asserted control. You've said, "Hey, look! In the face of this evil and this terror, I am going to make a joke, so you can suck it." And there's a real power in that. So one of the cool things that I've noticed in in your books, it, it's in the longest con, it's in apparition. Is you do kind of fun little little things. You have like the footnotes in the longest con because it's a story about you uh, magnified, and so you refer to actual books that you've written and and actual references to real life things. Um, and in apparition, you have these fun little blurbs at the beginnings of the chapters, and one of the one of the ones that's pretty cool is at the beginning of chapter 8, and it says, I can't stop reading the Bible story about Abraham, how he waited so long for a son, then finally got one in his old age and named him Isaac. Then God tells him to kill his son, and Abraham gets ready to do it because he loves God, and if you love God, you do it, he says, even if he tells you to murder your baby. Maybe especially if he tells you to murder your baby. And and so on, on and on and so forth, and you have these these kind of interesting things. And, and like I said, it, there's footnotes in the bottom of, of the longest con where you explain things and you reference things and you go back. How does that, like, those are real things. Like that's a real Bible story about killing your, so you obviously did research on these into, into real things and put real things into the book. And it really does, you know, while while the sunny the funny side helps you remember that it's just a book, that does lend some legitimacy to what's also going on in the story. And and it's really cool. What makes you decide to do those kinds of things? Well, again, I, so I, I'm upfront about the fact that I'm a fairly um, pedagogical uh, pedagogical. That sounds terrible. Um, I'm a fairly preachy writer. I mean, I try not to sit down and, you know, put the, the audience on my lap and go, and that's why you should never steal young reader because that's, um, but my stories, I, I live in a world that's colored by a moral framework that I believe in. And so as the author, my worlds are going to are going to mirror that. I can't divorce myself from that. It's impossible. And any author who says, I'm totally writing outside of myself, that's impossible because they're either lying or they're just writing for some other personality they're not aware they are part of. <laughs> Which is totally possible because writers are all crazy. And, and so the reason that I have these hard things that are realistic, you know, going back to, I don't sit there and go, I'm going to make a story about that awful thing that just happened on the news because that story is already there. But what does interest me is saying, so you remember that awful thing that happened in the news? Well, it happens in this world as well. And just like in our world, it makes things a little darker, but here's how they dealt with it. I'm trying to kind of, tie little points between the world of the story and the world we live in because, again, it's all about improving the world we live in. Um, people say, like, what are, what are the things you have to learn as a writer? And writers are all stand up and go, you know, we're going to tell you rules, but you break all the rules. And I think there's three rules you cannot break if you ever hope to be a professional writer with people reading you. And the first one is bore me and die. People want to be entertained. And the second one is confuse me and lose me because no matter how interesting it is, if you don't understand why it's happening or who it's happening to, you'll leave the book. And the third one is make the world a better place. 
And that's not necessarily like everybody who finishes a Michael Brandt calling should feel like they just watched Martin Luther King. do. The- <laughs> um, but they should feel like, oh, for a couple hours, I was entertained. For a couple hours, I didn't have to deal with the dishes. Um, when I came out of this book, I realized, hey, there is darkness, but there's also other stuff past that. And that's the big one that I'm always shooting for, is not to tell a happy story or to tell a story where everything ends well, because that's that's not life. Um, and I think the more we reflect life at people, the more powerful the story and the greater good it can do. Um, you know, there's a reason why the most enduring children's stories are all horror stories. They're, you know, Hansel and Gretel. What? So messed I mean, up. <laughs> so messed up. Seriously, right? And But that's a story about, look, there's strangers. Don't talk to strangers. Also bring bread. And, <laughs> you know, and it's and, okay to murder someone if they're being mean to you. But you know what? I would be the first one to say, children, if this old lady tries to eat you, you beat the crap out of her and toss her in the oven. I'm cool with that. You know, and they're, they're teaching these lessons by saying not, and then everything was happy, but bad stuff is out there. And we know it is. We don't want it to happen to you. So we're not going to toss you in a pit with a cannibalistic old lady and say, survival of the fittest. What we're going to do is we're going to teach you a lesson about some other kids that that happened to. And that way, if it happens to you, you have a framework for dealing with it. Why do you think so many of the evil characters in fairy tales were old people? Oh, because terrifying. (laughs) Old old people and and old people and babies are the most terrifying things. (laughs) Well, because old people represent like, look, guess what? I'm going to die. I mean, like, I'm at the age where I'm looking at the people I think of as movie stars and going, oh, yeah, that's a what? How old are they? You know, because these movie stars of my youth, you know, I remember Bruce Willis kicking butt and taking names in Die Hard. And now he's like, how's it going? I'm I'm tough, but in an old way, you know. And, <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm playing a senior citizen that's a former CIA agent. Yeah, but that's really scary. Like, if the guy who took out the Nakatomi terrorist plot is going to die of old age, I have no chance. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a reminder that that we're stuck. And then babies, they're a reminder that we did our job and we can die now. (laughs) You know, that's that's our genetic purpose is to make babies to carry on the species. And if we make more than one baby... That's great because we've got species continuity and increase built in. But frankly, if I make a single baby, especially if it's a boy baby, eh, he can make lots of more babies. And that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like from a from a physiological perspective, as soon as I crank out a baby, I'm done. I'm obsolete. And that's why there's so many stories with kids that are so scary is because they are our own obsolescence staring at us. That makes sense. I can see that. Also because babies are creepy. Just because they're creepy. So I've met you tons of times now. I've probably met you four or five times at least. And in the longest con, since it's about you, I want to know 
how much of that is really you and how much of that is the character you are playing? Like, is it 50-50? Is it like 90-10? Oh, okay. So I have to explain what the longest con is because we referred to it and your, your readers or listeners rather are probably going, this guy's a real egotist. He's writing a book about himself. <laughs> uh, so I'm pretty story- sure that's called an autobiography. <laughs> <laughs> But it's okay. So I wouldn't write an autobiography about myself because, first of all, the cover would just suck. Um, I'm not one of those people that's photogenic, and I'd sit there and be like, "A life less lived" by Michael Brent. Um, <laughs> people wouldn't buy that. So uh, the story of the longest con, the setup is everybody knows that people go to comic cons to cosplay as monsters, and what they don't know is that monsters go to comic cons to cosplay as people. And this is a, a problem because monsters, as a rule, eat people. And the con organizers hate this. They know that every dead person is one less overpriced pretzel they can sell. Anyway, so uh, what the con organizers have done is they've seeded the equivalent of undercover air marshals through the convention. And the air marshal's job is to keep murders from happening or to clean up the mess afterwards. And so that's the, the fun, hopefully, plot setup. Uh, the MacGuffin, the extra little, this makes it extra fun, is that I am the main character. I'm the main undercover air marshal. And the fact that I'm selling books, I'm not really that good of an author. I'm mostly there because I got roped into being one of these frickin' air marshals, and I have to be there now. And the reason I'm on panels is because that provides good sight lines. I'm always up high. I can look around. I can see bad things happening. Uh, <laughs> And the additional fun is that I know a ton of really successful authors, and every author is this bizarro mix of total egomania and crippling, crippling uh, self-hatred. And so we all kind of wish we were superheroes, but we all really know we're not, and that's why we're writers instead of actors. (laughs) But so I, you know, I contact all my buddies and I said, Hey, I'm writing this book. And I explained, I said, do you want to be a character as yourself, but a fun version, you know, like a superhero. So (laughs) Anderson is in and he's the leader of the dead ones who are these like earth shakingly, terrifyingly powerful wizards. Larry Correa, who is a very successful author. And if you know anything about him, he's a gun enthusiast. So he's the supernatural arms dealer in the series. Um, and he's wandering around the convention selling his books because he's much better than me. And he's also making a lot of money selling, you know, like silver lined bullets with crosses etched in them that have been blessed by a Catholic bishop, a, a Muslim imam, and a Mormon deacon, because that's just kind of the fun of it. It exists in this in this world that can parody itself. Now, all of that, back to your question of how much of it is real, um, if it is talking about my life and it is not mentioning magic in that sentence, it is probably real. That's pretty cool. It was yeah. pretty fun to read it, it, when I, especially like having heard you t- talk, you know, in panels and, and talk to you at your booth and stuff. It was, it was like, uh, so Jeremy's kind of a, a little bit of an author too. And he, he wrote a book about architects and, and I read that and having known him, like it was just sexual slam poetry. It was just, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it's just kind of fun because you really know that person and then they're, they're kind of writing about them, but not really about them. And, yeah. It, it it was it was really fun to read. It was I, I really liked. It. I literally just finished it like two weeks ago, so it's really fresh yeah. on the brain. So 
thinking of superpowers, um, I know you have one in the longest con, but is is that really the superpower you'd want? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny how often that question comes up. I would say I'd get a superpower question about probably 50% of the time I'm interviewed. That's because it's in your bio. Yeah. 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 Right. Okay. <laughs> Suddenly the world makes sense again. Um, again, this is oh. why people ask about your parents having sex. <laughs> bring things up. I need to stop bringing things up. I heard yesterday. Don't let's talk about that. Um, so the superpower I would have for real, if I could have any superpower, would be to give other people the ability to see themselves the way they are and not the way they fear they are. Oh, that's a good superpower. I think I think people are almost unilaterally, uniformly, 100%, very few exceptions, extraordinary. I've met tens of thousands of people, you know, in my job, and I have yet to meet someone who is not a hero of some part of their story. And and I think if we could all actually believe that, and this is coming from someone who doesn't, the, when I say psychotic breaks, um, it's not like I'm going to go crazy and start chewing on your ears. It's like I, I experience a dissonance so extreme that I can't conceive of a universe where I have a place. And, and that's a very dangerous thing to have. And so I don't have this superpower myself, but I think if I could, I'd be a much better person and I think if everybody could there'd be a lot less fighting because we'd be secure in our value and we'd be you know oh you want that piece of land well I'm, I'm pretty great I can survive without it go ahead and and I think there'd be a lot less problems because so many of the problems that we occasion uh, that we happen upon um, we happen upon them because we bring them with us yeah that makes sense that's a good superpower yeah, it is. I'm, I'm impressed. That's that's a really good superpower. It's, You've not, clearly had to give the answer before, though. So. <laughs> well, when you put it in your bio, people are just going to ask you about it. Yeah, so, it makes sense. So what is your – you've talked about you, – you've done a lot of screenwriting. Um, what is your favorite movie? Uh, and specifically, what's your favorite movie in the horror genre? Oh, okay. So do you want two answers or just the horror one? Because they're different. I want both, both of them. Then. Okay, um, so for horror, I'll do regular first. Um, my favorite movie of all time, it is probably, it's a very close two-way photo finish uh, between Harvey, the Jimmy Stewart black and white movie, uh, and The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, which <laughs> shocks people when I say those two movies. Um, but again, they, they both of them do something extraordinary, which is they mirror reality in a way that most stories do not have the competence to do in that both of those stories are about a world populated 100% by people, um, you know, and Winnie the Pooh and his friends are just anthropomorphized people, um, by people who are trying to do what is right. And sometimes the things that they think are right are at odds with each other, but all of them are good-hearted, good people, and the conflicts come not from somebody trying to build up or blow up a Nakatomi Tower, but just, okay, I have a thing I want to do, and you have a thing you want to do, and they don't get along for the entire road that they walk. Um, and I think being able to write a story like that is marvelous. Um, and people, 
I love the fact that Jimmy Stewart always said Harvey was his favorite movie because he had people come up to him throughout his life and say, I was going to give up because it was made during the Depression. I was going to give up. Life was over, and I was going to kill myself. And then I watched Harvey. And, I mean, talk about a great story to be able to provide that for someone. Um, so those are my favorite movies. Uh, as far as favorite horror, you know, it kind of depends on on what I saw most recently because I really give myself into horror. Like, I'm not someone who sits there and, and in the back of the theater and goes, the next shot, this is how they did it. This is the racial corn syrup to cornstarch and that blood effect. You know, um, I went and saw Insidious. Which is and, fantastic. You know, the best Oh, it's so fun. And that's another, see, again, Lee Winnell and, uh, and James, James Wan, same people that saw, and they have a very solid moral fiber in their stories, and most of their stories are about family. Um, so that's, you know, kind of speaking my language, but I went and saw that, and I scored the best seats, which are right behind the handicap area, so you get to put your feet up on the gate, you know? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there with my wife, and the first kind of real scare of the movie happens that the mom walks into her baby's room and it's a very subtle scare, but there's a face in the window and half the theater did not even notice it. The other half didn't either because they were looking at the poor epileptic kid in the front row whose feet and legs went straight up in the air as he went, bah! and that was me. <laughs> <laughs> If it makes you feel any better, I'm pretty sure the people in our theater jumped at that moment. So if that's any consolation. I, it's, I love it. It's nothing to be consoled about. I love being scared. So it's it's hard for me to narrow down my favorite horror movie because they all are fun, you know, if they get you. I loved all of the Insidious movies, even the latest one. They're all a lot of fun. And the first movie uh, was extraordinary. I loved... The Conjuring. I mean, that was, again, the same team. Um, the Ring was, wow. The Ring blew me away because that was a very rare, big-budget Hollywood blockbuster in a horror movie. I went Usually, to opening night of that with my uh, eyes closed. I have yet to watch that movie again. Yeah, <laughs> and I love horror my, movies. I watch them every weekend. <laughs> that's my wife. She will not watch that movie. Actually, in the pre-screening, you know what's really cool? They did, you know, they did pre-screenings for the press and sneak pre-peaks. And for the first press junket, I guess, everyone went in and watched it. And they knew they had a hit on their hands. And the press people all came out afterwards. And there was a black, unmarked video cassette on every car in the park. <laughs> Oh. So good. That's great marketing. Oh, totally. That just so, gave me the chills. Oh, that'd be creepy. Oh, it would be so terrifying. And the rest of the movies in that series were just abominable. Um, but I love that first one. The Japanese one, the Ringyu uh, movie, is astounding for a whole different set of reasons. And it does an equally scary movie for $6 instead of $60 million. I like the uh, Japanese version better, actually. I love Asian horror films. Yeah. Yeah. The Asian horror, so you the know what best. else is um, South America's got some gangbusters Ooh, horror. Did you watch Veronica yet? I am watching it. I it's turned on my it off. List. Dumb show with you people. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're not I'm as scary, I don't Literally. Think. Literally halfway through, and I'm like, oh, crap, I guess I better go be an author. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we have one more question for you, and then we'll let you go back to watching it. 
<laughs> oh, wait, I have to say one more thing, too. House at the End of Time. If you're looking for a really good uh, horror movie, that one is awesome. I think it's Venezuelan, so you got to be able to read while you watch a movie, but it is great. Sorry, go I'm, ahead. I'm old and have heart and trouble I hearing, so I watch everything with closed captioning. Nice. Okay, yeah, it's right <laughs> up your lane. It's so good. It was one of those where you sit there, and at the end, and you're like, wait a second, did that really work? I'm going to watch it again. So. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, we ask everyone this because this is the the new Utah podcast, and I know you've been to Utah a lot. You live in Idaho, so you don't have to travel to two different states. Um, <laughs> but if uh, if you were talking to someone who was visiting Utah and you could tell them they needed to do one thing while they were in the state of Utah, what would what would you say? You know, it, gosh, that's that's tough. I guess if. If if it was during LTUE and they were a writer, I'd be like, check out LTUE. Um, otherwise, I'd say go to Temple Square because that's kind of, I mean, if you're in Utah, and I'm not saying so you can become Mormon, but that's kind of what the whole history of the state is built around. And I, I actually do study my church's history, and I brought an assistant to Salt Lake Comic Con and I said, hey, I'm going to Temple Square. Do you want to come? And he said, yeah. And I walked around for four hours and gave him a tour. And at the end of it, we had 20 people with us. <laughs> you didn't even have a missionary name tag on? No, nothing. And, and I look like this, guys. So it's really Definitely not a missionary, though. No, not at all. Um, but And none of them were Mormon, but it's just, it's fascinating. So, I'm, you know, if you're going to go to Utah and you want to see one thing, you know, they've got a water park, but there's better ones other places. But there's only one Temple Square. <laughs> so, uh... I, I lied. I have one more question because I was looking up your Angelica Hart stuff. Um, <laughs> who, who is the female that Amazon has? I think they just pulled it from your the Facebook page. But is that's that my wife. as he says, your wife or a daughter? Or? Yep, that's my wife. But thank you for thinking I have a daughter in her thirties. She doesn't really look she like she's in her thirties. Like it's the 30s. back of her head, so yeah. she's just a blonde. I mean, it's person. conveniently. Has no distinguishing features other than it's clearly a woman. It's yeah. a woman yep. with blonde hair and glasses is all you can really see. Yep. It was really nice. I was actually that weekend. I'm like, I need a picture for Angelica. What can I do? And then we randomly went shooting. That was the first time my wife went shooting on a, uh, at all. And so she's sitting there, but she looks like she's a badass, man. She's got her finger index just right. And she looks really like confident. And I was like, that's Angelica freaking hard. <laughs> Shoving the clip into the gun. Yep. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> All right, how can people get a hold of you and, and get your books and... and uh, Learn how to be a writer because it teaches yeah, too. Yeah, you do have, you oh. have courses. Yeah, I do. I have an online course. It's actually, if you go to my website, you can get a link, and I think it's 30 bucks right now, um, which is a down from 200 so it's a good deal for a while. Um, uh, the easiest way to get find me is to type in the word Michael Brent, all one word, because there are no other one word. That's my first name. Nobody else in the world has that first name. So if you type it in, you're going to get my website, my Amazon page, my Facebook fan page, and they're going to be all laid out in a row. Now, there is a disclaimer. There is a guy named Michael Space Brent, who's an underwear model. <laughs> like, I don't want anybody walking up at a convention and slapping me because they're like, where's the beautiful naked guy? You know, because... That's just, He's under the table. <laughs> no, I'm not going to brag about a naked dude being under my table. Thank you. <laughs> it might happen from time to time, but that's between me and the table. 
<laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for, for chatting with us, Michael Brent. It's been a, oh, a pleasure. Sure. That's going to do it for the night. Uh, thanks again to Michael Brent Collings. Um, if you want to check out his stuff, just just go to his website. Um, yeah, Jeremy, stop shaking that thing at me. We're not doing it. We don't have any time. He's not. He's trying to but decide if we're saving Yeah, him. yeah, definitely save him because I, I think that's cool. And, and I'll put it in my pile of stuff that we never get to that we could get to at any time because they're all relevant. They're all relevant. Um, Maybe for our 100th episode, that's all we'll do. Is we'll do <laughs> list. The leftover pile. The, the leftover lists. The It'll shit we didn't want to talk. There's all the stuff we haven't gotten to in the last here's 100 the, episodes. Well, and here's, here's the leftover of a list that we talked about the stuff we liked the most, and here's the other 50 things that we didn't want to talk about. <laughs> Man, that's going to be a, an exhilarating show People in a couple are of like, weeks. I'm stopping at 99. Uh, <laughs> If you get to 99, fucking thank you. Seriously, we can't thank you enough for sticking out with us because uh, I know it's probably been very difficult. <laughs> we, should, we should celebrate 104 and not 100 because that's a full year. Maybe we'll do both. You don't know. <gasps> we can make a birthday cake that says two. We're two. <laughs> Fuck, terrible twos. We're getting we ready to enter Jeremy the terrible Bates. twos. <laughs> Jeremy make makes some rum balls. balls. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> Apparently, I'm the only one that got a good batch of rum balls, so. <laughs> I've just had so many bad ones. We should just have Heather's rum cake, and oh then we'll God. all be happy. That, Hello, so I'm a cake maker. <laughs> you have never made me a cake. I do not fucking believe you're a cake maker. <laughs> do, how, do we need to go over this again? I haven't had occasion. You... Tomorrow is an occasion. <laughs> I will still be here. Next week is an This week we I'm working be, on another cake. We will be hitting our 100th episode. A century of episodes. Is it a century? Mm -hmm. yes. A century of episodes. That is an occasion to make a cake, Jess. It is an occasion. <gasps> we could have cake and jalapeno poppers. <laughs> do not get do not get Jeremy's help on the cake. But, and just what? as usual, Jeremy and I Jeremy will not participate. <laughs> we will not. They will just show up and make eat any things. kind of a contribution. <laughs> I'm just saying, Jeremy's not really good at it. You should have seen him. She's like, okay, pour it out like brownie batter with the soap making, and I just started laughing my ass off. And I'm like, Jeremy has never made brownies in his life. Have you made brownies? I don't think so. I did ask her for help. <laughs> I bet you're a better cook than your mom, it, though, because you said that your mom is... Well, so I can cook. cook. I can't bake. There's a difference. And, and Jeremy I is like, like trying to scrape out the bowl to get all the soap into the thing <laughs> with, the, with the rubber spatula. He didn't grasp how to do it. Oh, you don't well. know how the rubber spatula works? Well, sort of, but I didn't... I tried. My daughters can't do a rubber spatula either. I tried. So I just, I just started laughing when... <laughs> When she said, pour it out like brownie better. That's why I said, can you help like, me? I raised my hand. Jen, <laughs> can you help me, please? He's like, I'm good with melting and stirring and not getting And if you told me myself. to put it in a smoker, I'd be all over it. That's <laughs> right. If you smoked that soap, I'd be all over it. But you probably could. I bet that'd be good, maybe. I wonder how You're you could do that. i could eat it. Could, yeah, but it fucking smells delicious to be out of a campfire. I wonder how you could infuse campfire you imagine well, you like walk by somebody and you're like, sure. that liquid smoke Camp, maybe. You're like, maybe. you've been camping. And they're like, no, it's the scent of my soap. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it would not. No, like you could use liquid smoke, I think. I don't know how, that, how well that stuff smells or how powerful it is, but I bet you could use that. Next That's time. neither here nor there. <laughs> um, if you like this discussion, uh, we have lots of them, very similar. To almost, we thank our guests. I did. I did thank Michael Brent Collings. Uh, We've had almost a hundred of these riveting discussions. 
I would say much more than that. There's at least two in an episode. That's true. <laughs> They're usually at the beginning, so if you skip the first 15 minutes, you're probably okay. Um, but uh, please share our episodes. That's that's what we ask of you if you like our stuff is to share it. Um, it makes a, a big difference for us to, to have other people listen. Uh, you can like things. You can reach us on Twitter at TNU Podcast. You can go to our website, thenewutah.com. Apparently, we have an Instagram now. Uh, that we didn't have before. What's uh, that? At TNU Podcast? Yeah. People started tagging us, so I had to start one. We have a Tumblr, probably, with no. naked pics of <laughs> things. If I'm doing naked, we're just going to put it on Twitter. It's much easier. No, but they block it on Twitter. They don't. They don't? No. All right. I need our Twitter account information. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you have it. Um, somewhere. Uh, anyway, that's going to do it. So, uh, do we have a MySpace page? No, I can create that if you would like. <laughs> Extra time. <laughs>